squad, you're in for a treat. This week, my guest is Lindsay McCall Long. She had a great career. She started off in Gwinnett County, Georgia, came out to Arizona on vacation to visit some friends, liked it, got picked up by Paradise Valley for a short time, but through her work connections, ended up at Tempe Police Department in Tempe, Arizona. Great conversation. She was introduced to me by Jennifer Castellum. So, uh, Lindsay, that's who you have to blame for all this fun shenanigans. But uh, yeah, great, great interview. So um, I'm pleased to announce and to present to you, uh, Lindsay McCall Long. I'm going to hit that and we'll just get started. All right. And they're going to be jabbering in the background, so we're going to hear them. But yeah, if you um, if you have to, just try and... I know. I hate this is on the recording, but just grab it like up here because okay. the microphone will literally come off in your... Got you. No, we're good. Yeah, yeah. Does that and I can hear you well. I yeah, sound okay? I can hear okay. you good. Yeah. I know so, how to enunciate. I can project <laughs> if you need me to. My guest today, Lindsay McCall Long. Welcome. Thank you. Thank I'm so you. glad you're here. Uh, you can blame Jennifer Gastelum later uh, if, if you're looking for somebody to yell at, but uh, she was on the show in year one. I've been doing this now. I'm in the third year of doing the show. Oh, wow. Every I put out a new episode every Wednesday. Okay. And... Um, I think she reached out to me on Facebook. She says, hey, I just retired from adult probation. Mm -hmm. I would love to come on the show. I'm like, yeah, bring it. So she came on the show. And then while she was here, she mentioned your name because you guys both work for... The Wounded Blue. Wounded Blue. Yeah, we volunteer for the Wounded Blue. There we go. And uh, and I reached out to you right away. And you're like, "Eh, I think I'm okay. I'm good. And that's fine. I mean, you're not the first person that's declined. And I try not to take it personal because it seems like um, some of my friends... Like as soon as they retire, they don't, they're not in the mindset right. to want to share stories. They're just trying to decompress and, and get over being retired and that kind of stuff. Um, My brain sucks sometimes. And no, I'm being serious. Like people will, and when you circled back to me, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I'm, and sometimes I just forget. And so that's why you see me with this notebook because I have to write stuff down a lot more. Like, don't tell my mom because she tells me all the time that I forget stuff. Um, But I just, I forget and I'm like, oh, I was supposed to get back to this person or somebody contacted me. And I'm like, okay, um, this is my year where I'm going to do better about immediately responding. Responding to people uh, and, you know, just okay. being better about follow-up. But my brain sucks. Well, and I do appreciate <laughs> you because you, you're you not, you probably haven't come the farthest, but you're one of. Mm-hmm. I mean, you came all the way from the north side of Phoenix to yeah. come down and hang out this morning. So yeah. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, no, and I don't take it personal. Uh, it's, I'm kind of the same way. Like I'll think of a list of names, right. but I don't write them down. Mm-hmm. And then something will remind me, and then I'm like, oh, crap, I need to reach out to this person, this person, because I feel like they probably forgot, mm-hmm. and I forgot, and I feel bad. But um, So in any case, you're here. Yes. I appreciate you coming down, and uh, and I think we'll have a cool, uh, I think we're going to have a cool episode, and so yeah. we'll, see, uh, we'll see what happens here. But um, we'll kind of get started in the same way that every episode gets started is... How do you decide or how do you get into public service? Well, it's not the sexy story that a lot of people have (laughs) of like wanting to be a police officer since they were a kid. That wasn't my story. Now, granted, I did grow up watching police shows. Like I remember watching Chips, TJ Hooker, 
like Hunter, like Cagney and Lacey, Hill Street Blues. Like I yes. grew up watching all of those. Law and Order, like however you make it, I will watch it. Right. Like literally, I was in Costa Rica on my honeymoon and I found Law and Order in English and in Spanish. Oh my gosh. And I watched them all. Anyway. That's hilarious. So <clears throat> basically, um, I, I was living in Georgia. That's where I... I'm originally okay. from California, but I spent a lot of time in Georgia. So that's where I did my high school, college, and first police department years. Okay. And so, um, you know, getting close to graduation, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And um, I was in ROTC, Air Force ROTC in high school. And okay. so my plan originally was to go into the Air Force mm-hmm. after high school. Um, <clears throat> that got derailed because unfortunately, two weeks after I graduated from high school, my dad was shot and killed in oh. a um, home invasion. Oh my gosh. So for like six months, I don't remember what I did. There was a lot of crying and couch sitting. Yeah. Um, but then I had, you know, my mom was like, listen, she told me and my younger brother, there are a lot of people who never even met their fathers. You had your father. I had him for 17 years. My brother had him for 14 years. Mm-hmm. And, but you can't stay in this space. Like, we have to continue living. She says, I'll give you a year, but then we got to make some decisions. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. I mean, that's fair enough. So she's like, either military, full-time job, or college. <clears throat> Choose. So <clears throat> I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I can stay close to home, yeah. you know. And I majored in criminal justice, not because I wanted to be a police officer, but because it had the least amount of math classes. Yes. I tell everybody that, right? Yes, I'm right there with you. <laughs> but I got into the major and I really enjoyed it because I had some professors who were retired law enforcement. Yes. They weren't just teaching from a book. They're giving real life experience to go yep. along with the the literature. And I was going to school um, at Armstrong um, Atlantic State University down in Savannah, Georgia, which they've been, I think, bought by Georgia Southern now. Uh. I transferred up to Georgia State, and that's where I graduated from, but I had to do an internship to graduate. I'm like, I don't even know what I want to do. Yeah. So I was living in Gwinnett County at the time, and which is a... Um, about 20 miles northeast of Atlanta, Fulton County. And my sister and her husband live in Decula. 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 Yep. There we mm-hmm. go. Gwinnett. Yeah, yeah. That's Gwinnett. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'll just do the internship there. And So the, you had to set that up yourself? Yes. Ooh. So you got to contact them. They have a form that we had to fill out. They approve you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go from there. So... They say yes. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to do these ride-alongs. So for the first probably like two or three weeks, I was like, this is like the most boring job. Not boring, but annoying. Like, <laughs> I, I'm i 23 years old. Yeah. I still live at home. I have to go out and tell older people how to live their lives. And my oh, mom yeah. is still paying my bills. Like, how did you babysit grown people all day? Yep. And then something clicked, right? And I mean... I, I've always liked helping people. That's yeah. just part of my personality. I've always been the person that people come to when they, hey, I need to talk to you about something, even mm-hmm. if I didn't know you. Like, I right. became that person in high school. Well, I saw a sergeant. We were on a shoplifting call, and I saw a sergeant, like, talk to these young ladies, not just an authority figure, but like a parent and somebody who cared. Yeah. It wasn't, I'm the uniform, I'm the badge, you will do what I say. Yeah. He had genuine concern, and I was like, oh, okay, that's that was interesting, because what do we see on TV a lot of times? Well, unfortunately, it's the the glamorized, so it's like the chases. And that's the, what I was about to say, the action scenes. Yeah. You know, you get involved in a shooting like twice a week, according to the show, right. and then it, who does, where's the paperwork? 
Yes. Where, where's Where's the IA interview? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And then you just go home and you have dinner with your family. Yeah, like, like it's, it's lethal nothing. weapon. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Ex- blow up, shoot, exactly. go crash. Exactly. Come back tomorrow. And so yeah. um, I said, you know what? Okay, this is interesting. So I had more and more people say, hey, every time I rode along with a different officer or a different section, they said, you should apply. Hmm. You know, you're going to have a degree. You did your internship. Like, you'll be a shoe in. And I applied in. April of 2003, and okay. I was hired in October of uh, 2003, like shortly after my 24th birthday. So nice. that's a great gift, right? Yeah. And even when they called, I well, was... kind of. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> we don't know what we're asking for, but yeah. This is yeah. true, yeah. but I'm like, shoot. But to me, it's like a full-time job. All right, cool. But I kept yeah. asking like the... Um, the background investigator who contacted me, I said, are you sure you called the right person? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he's like do you want the job or not kind of thing? And I was like, yeah, but I'm just trying to make sure like, like I'm kind of, I'm a spoiled middle-class kid who still lives at home. Mom still pays her bills. Like you should, I don't have any real life experience. Like you, you sure you want me? Oh my God. So I'm, I'm, I'm almost like talking my way like out. Fir- yeah. You're like the first person that's ever talked themselves <laughs> out of a job. Right. Oh my and gosh. then Academy started probably a week later. Hmm. And, um, I showed up for those 20 weeks, probably, I'd give it a good 60% of those 20 weeks thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? You know, and that's one of the questions that I always ask is that for some folks, like, they start off in the military. So they have to go through a boot camp, and then they go through a a school that teaches them whatever they're going to do, aircraft mechanic, security police, whatever. Some folks go into a police academy never having had Mm -hmm. that type of an experience. And so one of the questions I always ask is when you get in there and you start, you know, hutting around and doing Mm push-ups and all that stuff, was there anything about the job? Because you did some ride-alongs, which is actually a really good experience. Mm -hmm. Um, That's probably more than a lot of the folks that were in the academy with you. But was there anything as you start learning the academics and, and that kind of stuff that surprised you? Like... I didn't realize that police do this. I didn't realize this was going to be part of my responsibilities. So I think something that surprised me is the communication and how much talking we actually do, right? There's not as much action as people think. Now, you can go find it, but we talk a lot more, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, so that's interesting. And like, you know, and you do like your your verbal judo and stuff like that. Right. And so de-escalation right. as they like to and say. It, and yeah. it feels awkward, but there is something to it. Right. <laughs> you just made me think of something. I remember we were doing traffic stops and it was hot. And well, it wasn't it was warm that day and yeah. I was getting hungry. And I'm like, let's just let's just knock this out. So I go up to this car. And um, it was one of our traffic sergeants that was being the difficult passenger or a driver. And he says, um, I told him he ran a red light. He's arguing with me that he didn't, you know, doing the whole, you know, here's your ticket. This is not admitting guilt by signing it. But, you know, you can you can argue this in court. You know, this is your court date. Now, in Georgia, um, if somebody does not sign a traffic ticket, you can be arrested for that. Yeah. Same here. If it's a criminal ticket. Right. Yeah. And then and, and ours what you didn't have to be, you know, yeah, you would just, you know, whatever the violation, do to do. And I'm like, all right. He wants to be difficult, but I'm hungry. Mm. <laughs> okay. And I was like the last person to go in this exercise. And I remember looking at him and I said, look, sir, I've already explained everything to you. You're not admitting guilt. I did the whole spiel. And I said, now we can either do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Yeah. 
This man signed the fake ticket so fast. And then he told me later, he says, I've, I've rarely have ever had a recruit <laughs> talk to one of the role players like that. Nice. Uh, and he says, I got a little scared the way you said that. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, sir. I was hungry. And I just... <laughs> I, yeah. just I can't to, be blamed for what I say when I'm hungry. Right. No. I just wanted to end this exercise because I really needed a snack. My blood sugar was getting oh low. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, like here, if it was like a, a civil traffic yeah. and they refused, you could just write on there refused to sign. But if it was a criminal citation, they had to sign it because it was okay. a promise yeah. you know, to go to court. Exactly. They weren't admitting guilt. They just promised to show up in court. And if they're not going to sign the promise... I guess we're going to do this the hard way. Well, I mean, even ours was even for civil. And it was like, yeah, okay, you don't want to sign it? Let's go. Wow. Let's go. So 20 weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. 20 weeks. Wow. I had one of my guests on, and I have her book sitting over here, but she went through up in New York. Oh. And theirs is different. And when she went through, she was saying that there was mostly males Mm -hmm. and like maybe her and like two other females, Mm -hmm. and they kept trying to wash them out. Yes. Like, you you don't really want to be here. You don't need, you shouldn't be here, you know, Mm. whatever. And when they would take breaks, the guys would get to go and smoke cigarettes, and they'd make the girls go and do push-ups. And she's like, we're, do- we're out on the deck. We're doing push-ups and bird shit. And she's like, but you know what? I was getting paid. So in my mind, I'm a professional athlete. I'll do push-ups nice. all day as long as you're going to send me a paycheck. So That's yeah. wild. See, <laughs> yeah. I never, I yeah. didn't have that experience. That's like good. There were, there were, we started out with like 26 people in our academy, and I yeah. think we graduated with 19. Yeah. We started out with four females, and it was me and another female who, yeah. who graduated. And the guys were great. Like, yeah. I never, never had any issues. Nobody told me, like, yeah. you don't belong here. And I, I get yeah. it. Like, different regions, right. you know, a police culture is different. Like, you know, it took me a minute to adjust just to the police culture here coming from Georgia, you know? Well, let me ask you this, because you were young. So it's funny because you're telling your story, and I was like, like, you got to read my book, because it was exactly the same. I decided in my senior year, Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to do criminal justice. I've watched cops. I can do that. I can do that. And then when I started taking college classes, all of my professors were retired cops, and Mm -hmm. so they were sharing, sharing practical experience, not just book knowledge. And then the last class I took before I graduated was an internship class. Mm -hmm. And I had to do 160 hours in 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'd go on Fridays from four to midnight and Saturdays from eight to four. Mm -hmm. And it was like a front row seat to the craziest show, you know? And I always say, once I started doing police work, I was like, it's hours of boredom separated by minutes of like sheer terror and adrenaline. And then hours of boredom and, and paperwork, you know? But, um, when you were doing the ride-alongs, how, did you did, was there anything there that, that shocked you where you were just like, oh my gosh? Or, I mean, for me, doing the internship and seeing people stabbed, seeing people shot, seeing right. people like drug addicted, seeing prostitutes walking down the street, like those things for me, I can see it can go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. You're either like, oh, maybe I need to go be a firefighter. This isn't really for me. <laughs> or or for like for me, it, it just confirmed what I already thought the job was about. And okay. I was like, oh yeah driving fast, running after bad guys. Like, I want to do all of these things. And so it was reaffirming in my career choice. I'm I'm trying to think. I mean, I think I'm pretty practical and realistic when it comes to human behavior. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where this is going. <laughs> I, I, well, because I, I don't think I, I operate with rose-colored glasses on, yeah. right? Because... People are people, and some of us are good, some of us aren't, right? And some of us struggle. So I think what surprised me, and but this took this took time though. Mm -hmm. Um, One, just how what's the word I'm looking for? How much people just want to be validated? 
Hmm. You know, like people want to be seen. Yes, yeah. I understand sometimes, you know, we can develop this us versus them mentality. Right. But we're all humans at the end of the day, and we all want the same thing. We yeah. want to be supported. We want to be validated. So I think that surprised me because just because you're a criminal doesn't make you a bad person all the time. Sometimes yeah. your circumstances have put you in that position. Yeah. And um, I definitely learned early on that you get more flies with honey. Yeah. You know, when we were rookies, when I was young, it was nothing for me to step out of a car and curse you out and the whole nine yards. Right. But one was the area that I worked in. You had to get out of the car like that. Oh, yeah. Like you had to put it down. Yes. Um, but then it's just like, okay, <laughs> I don't have to yell at this person. Yeah. I can talk to them. I can respect them yeah. and get what I want and then some. Right. So I think that's what, you know, I thought it was going to be easy. I show up. I have a badge. I have a uniform. You will do as I say. No. No. It's like kids. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The kids are like, oh, I'm an apparent like this. And then I had my daughter and she's like, I'm the captain now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what well, I live with. <laughs> and my wife used to tell me stories about when she was like two and three, she would demand that her mom allow her to wear something or wear some shoes or wear some it's earrings my, or something like that. Life. And it's I was just life. like... At three, like that didn't seem real until Mm-mm. I had my own daughter. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, yeah. No, I live with that She's every day. She's got her own little personality in here. Um, so, yeah, I'm always just like, uh, for folks that do a ride along beforehand, so you got a little bit of exposure before you went to the academy. Right. So, you graduate the academy. And then, how long is your FTO then? Um, FTO was eight weeks. Oh, wow. And they were actually trying to cut me loose a little early. Oh, wow. Um, I had I had really good FTOs too, yeah. and I I ended up working at our smallest district, but our busiest district. Gotcha. Like people didn't even like people would try to get out of there. They yeah. didn't want to work there, but you learned a lot in a short amount yeah, of time. You grew up fast, and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, trial by fire. Yes, <laughs> like yeah. you were you were you were thrown in there, but I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, and I worked around a lot of older officers too, so I kind of developed their disposition about right. not getting like too excited about stuff. Yeah. Um so that just that just kind of worked out. Do you want to give credit to your FTOs? Oh, I always love giving yeah, credit. Yeah. So, so who is your So my my favorite FTO and anytime I see her, anytime I've gone to a birthday party and I've given her a card, I always label her as the best FTO ever. Mm. And her name uh her nickname is CD, but um Llewellyn is her name. Okay. And so she was great because you know, she's a s- smaller statured female, but mm-hmm. man, she has just this fierce persona about her and you just didn't mess with her. Yeah. And I respected her because me and her butted heads a little bit mm. because I was coming with this soft approach to stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, she had been in narcotics and stuff and she just had a different, you know, little rough exterior. And the funny thing is the first time I saw her walk through the halls of our academy, I remember thinking, she's scary. <laughs> you know, and I was like, she's she she's scary to me. And then I get to my first precinct, she's in the room, they're assigning us FTOs, and I'm under my breath. I'm like, please not Llewellyn, please let Llewellyn. McCall, you're with Llewellyn. I was like, oh my Lord. <laughs> this is it. This is the beginning of the end. No. <laughs> but she was tough with me. We butted yeah. heads one night and over a traffic stop. And um, I didn't do what she wanted me to do when I gave her like some ridiculous answer as mm-hmm. to why I didn't do it. And I remember thinking that night, I'm not coming back tomorrow. I remember thinking that. Yeah. 
And I went home. I slept on it. I showed up the next day. She pulled me aside. She says, hey, maybe I was a little harsh last night. I have to understand you're coming from a different place, mm-hmm. you know, and I want us to be able to work together. And we had a really good conversation. Oh, that's but this cool. is what I expect from you. That's professional. Right. And like yeah. after that, we were good and I was good. Like yeah. that built my confidence too. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really, really enjoyed working with her. And we had it was like four weeks with one FTO and four weeks with another FTO. Okay. But she was definitely my favorite. And I, I just learned a lot from her. Now one of the things that struck me, because I was 23 when I graduated and went out, and it's one thing to sit there and learn the laws mm-hmm. and the theory mm-hmm. and do a couple of scenarios, but I was still a kid, and now I, like you said, I'm I'm in people's houses that are older than me, and I'm telling them yes. how, to, how to behave mm-hmm. and how to act. And I just remember almost like being blown away by the feeling of like walking into another man's home and telling him, sit there on the couch. And if I need to hear from you, I will ask a question, but otherwise you need to be quiet. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I grew up in like Southern Baptist, respect your elders. Right. No, and that's what I'm (laughs) saying. So it's definitely a different hat that we have to wear. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, I control this. Yes. And you want to be respectful. But, you know, I I told a gentleman one time, he got mouthy with me. It was a domestic call, and he was talking to me the way he was talking to his wife. And I was newly released by myself. And I was irritated with this guy because I had run into him a few weeks prior yeah. at a gas station where he had hit on me. Oh, geez. And I, and I told my supervisor about it. Well, that same supervisor shows up on the call. And as I go back to my car to run him, I said, you remember that guy I told you about at QT mm. that had that lame line about, you know, well, what do I have to do to talk to an attractive police officer? And I oh, said, you can get out my face. That, right. That's one thing. I said, that's him. He's trying to push me around verbally. Yes. I didn't let it happen. And then finally I stopped him. I said, let me tell you something, sir. Okay. This is my circus and I'm the ringmaster. (laughs) It's definitely a circus. You know what I mean? Uh. And I said, your life got so out of control that a third party, me, had to come help you try to control it. Right. I would not have been called if you and your wife could have handled this yourself. You're not going to disrespect me. You're not going to behave like a child in front of your children. Yeah, yeah, Okay? Yeah. We're, we're not going to do that. And, oh, he glared at me, but I didn't care. So I right. go back up to my car to get some paperwork, and I looked at my sergeant. He was, like, leaning up against my car while mm-hmm. I'm, I'm handling it. And I said, look, Sarge, I apologize, but that guy just irritated me. Mm-hmm. He says, I, I wasn't going to say anything. He says, right. I think you gained control of the call quite well. Nice. So I'm, I'm just here. I'm just observing because you're new. Yeah. That's it. Now, when you're riding with what's it, Llewellyn, mm-hmm. are you like you're going on these calls now? Any of those things surprise you or shock you? Do you remember being like, "What the heck?" You know, or is this really? <laughs> so we we went on a call one time where it was a fight call at like a business or something like that. It was it was nighttime, and this guy is just. All sorts of profanities, derogatory stuff mm. out of his mouth, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And she did, she did um, jujitsu, okay, uh, you know, and so you know, she just, <laughs> like I said, she had this edge about her, yeah. And he goes on and on and on, and he's calling her a dyke and all this other stuff. Oh wow! And I'm the type of person. Well, sometimes I will, like, if I care about the person, like, I will definitely get offended for you and yeah. step in for you. And I went to do that, and she was like, "Oh no." I got this. 
And she laid into that guy. Now, he was getting arrested Yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah. And she laid into that guy. And I'm fuming. I'm yeah. just like, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh. And I said, how do you do that? And she was like, I don't, like what he said to me, you think somebody hasn't said that to me before? Right. You know, and he's going to jail at the end of the day. She says, you can't spend your time getting mad every time somebody calls you out of your name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I said, okay. I was just shocked Good at lesson. how, yeah, how rude people can be though, yes. especially when... I didn't just show up out of nowhere. Like something happened Somebody that called brought me, me here. here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't just drive around like any, meeny, money. Okay, you, you know, like I got called over here for a reason. I, I have a couple of buddies who anytime something would hit the national media, they're like, what about this? What about this? Mm-hmm. What about this? Mm-hmm. And I used to tell them, I said, look, first of all, nobody hates a bad cop more than good cops 100%. because it'll take one person to make a hundred thousand of us across the nation look bad. Mm-hmm. But this is what I would ask you to do, because I can't explain away this scenario. I can't explain away this one. I don't know. I wasn't there. I've had those calls. You don't calls. know where, you know, the two sides and the input and everything else. I said, but here's what you can do. Go to the police department nearest your house, fill out a ride-along waiver, mm-hmm. and get in the car. Because mm-hmm. what you need to see is, first of all, what kinds of things are the community expecting us to deal with? Mm-hmm. Then you want to hear how the cops that work in your neighborhood are talking to the public. Mm -hmm. And you also need to see how the public talks to the cop. And you need to see how cruel people can be to each other. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, that's the thing that always, like, surprised me is just when you think you've seen it all, you'll show up and, like, some people's cruelty knows no bounds. And you're like, I can't believe they just did that to another person. Or Or to themselves, I guess, you know, but... That and... We're on the outside looking in. So just the I guess it's it's hard to to see what your life looks like because you're in it, yeah. right? And how people allow other people to treat them. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and so I think that's something that always was like, wait, what? Like I remember going, I went on a domestic and um boyfriend and girlfriend, they have a child together. She wanted to leave. They were getting into an argument. She wanted to leave. Well, he didn't want her to take the toddler. Now, he didn't necessarily want the toddler. He was yeah. just trying to prevent her right. from leaving. Just be vindictive. So he's trying to wrestle the keys out of her hand. He bites her. Oh, my gosh. As the toddler would do. And why does a toddler bite? Because they don't have the communication yes. skills. Yeah. Yeah, use your words. Exactly. (laughs) But you are an adult. And so he left before I got there. Mm. And the child was still there and everything. And her mom was coming to get her and and the grandbaby. And I looked at her and I said, listen, I don't know how long you've been with this guy, but this doesn't seem like a relationship you should continue or that you should want this man around your child. Because he did something a child does. And again, I don't know your background. I don't know how you grew up, but... This type of behavior is gradual. It yes. rarely, if ever, goes yes. backwards unless something truly significant yeah. happens, right? Yeah. It and just tends to get worse. It's going to get worse because you get used to it, and yeah. then you bump up, and then you get used to it. I said, I- I'm going to share something personal with you. I broke up with a guy I was dating for yelling at me on the phone. There you go. And he hung up on me. And I was like, well, we're good. We're broken up. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I, yeah. first of all, when my my father was alive, he never spoke to me like that. Yeah. My grandfather, I was, I was still alive at that time when I was dating this guy. My grandfather has never spoken to me like that. Yeah. And he would be mad at me if he knew I stayed with you yeah. after speaking to me like that. Yeah. And I'm like, and you know, later his thing was, well, all I did was, see, that's the problem. 
You didn't view that as an issue. Right. All you did was speak to me in a way that I've never been spoken and I will not be spoken to like that. Yeah. So... You were on your way out anyway, because yeah. of some other things. You just oh expedited the breakup. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and actually, that happened um, the day I started Police Academy, actually. The mm. day I started Police Academy, that wow. happened. Yep. Um, and then your second FTO. Uh, we had a good time together. Mm. We, we definitely had a good time together. I had, uh, his name is uh, Everson, mm-hmm. and he was cool because he, like, he's a little country dude, and he, he like, Boomhauer, uh, like, yeah. legit. He had glasses, <laughs> and if, when he got to going good, he'd get the burp, 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 you know? <laughs> and so we, we, had a, we had a good time together uh-huh. because I have a, I'm not going to say I get comfortable with people quickly, but I definitely let you know what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. Yeah. And so I remember telling him at one point, you know, you enter that phase of um, of uh, FTO where like the FTO is standing back more, maybe not even getting out of the car on right. certain calls. I legit told him one day, you're going to stay in the car today. And he's like, what? I said, you will stay in the car because I want to do this by myself huh. and I have to learn. Right. And he's like, Okay. We were on another call, and it was this nasty apartment complex. And this is before, like, the days of, like, rampant hand sanitizer, right? Yeah. We were using it all the time. And he's leaning, or he's touching this railing, and I slapped his hand. He says, did you just slap my hand? I said, I did. I said, don't touch that. You wear glasses. You push your glasses up. You're going to have all sorts of cooties. And he said, what is wrong with you? It's like, it's like Elf, don't eat the gum that's underneath the rail. <laughs> exactly. No. Exactly. So, you know, oh, we, we had a good time together, but he also allowed me, you know, just a little bit more space to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, we worked on some things here and there, like mm-hmm. with report writing and stuff like that. But because of the conversation I'd already had with Llewellyn, I knew what he was saying wasn't coming from a place of negativity. Yeah. It was constructive criticism. He wanted me to do well, yeah. right? And um and he was actually the the FTO that wanted to um cut me loose a little uh, early. Yeah. And uh but they just I can't remember why they wouldn't do it, but you know, right along the extra yeah. 2 weeks was fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, it well, was fine. Well, and the thing is too is it and I know this now. I didn't know it back then, but if cuz like when I went through with the sheriff's department, the way we did is like San Jose model. So I rode with one guy for for Two weeks, mm-hmm. then four weeks, four weeks, and two weeks. So it was a total okay. of 12. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you'll ride with this guy in the in the first one and the last one, and then you'll have two other FTOs in the middle mm-hmm. so that he gets to see you from like day one, oh, don't know anything, to mm-hmm. almost a complete officer. Still needs a little bit of help. but right. And so they see that progression. But then when I, when I lateraled over to the city, I had been a cop for like two years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do I have to do this whole 12 weeks? And they're like, yeah, because if for some reason you start to have an issue and we had cut you loose, we're, we're giving you an out. And, yeah. and it makes us liable for not well, putting that, you through all that training. That, and I was like, oh, okay. That makes fine. sense. But like you, that's how I felt when I lateral to Tempe. Yeah. I was, on, I was in training longer. I think it was like 16 weeks almost. In Tempe, that I was at my first department with yeah. no experience. By the time I got to Tempe, I had already been to two departments because yeah. I worked at Paradise Valley Police Department when I first came to Arizona. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> like, Everybody gets it. Like, yeah, I was in a much it. busier area yeah. with crazier calls. And I'm like, I know how to be a police officer. I just need to learn how to be a police officer 
here. Right. And so that was a little frustrating. But I mean, I guess when you put the liability spin on it, yeah. you know, I, I could see it, but it still yeah. didn't ease yeah, my if mind. You take the, <laughs> if you take the person out of it and you yeah. just say, this is a standard, well then, boom, there it is. Now, how long do you stay at Gwinnett County? I was at Gwinnett County for four and a half years. Okay. So let's talk about some of the... Um, because you said you worked in a really busy area, so I'm curious to to hear how you go from baby cop to like battle tested. You know what I mean? Like quick because of where <laughs> yeah. I worked. Because you had hot tones pretty much every day. Yes, um, we were. You know, you were getting in foot chases. You were getting in vehicle pursuits. Um, it was definitely different. So Gwinnett County is the largest county in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, they only had five districts. And one of the districts we used to call like the Sleepy Hollow, which was like their east side. Yeah. And you might be chasing cows. Yes. You know, but yeah. where I was, it was like heavily concentrated and there was just a lot going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, there would be robberies. There were, I remember working stabbing, shootings and things like that. And mm-hmm. so... I remember tracking with a canine one time, and yeah. the canine turns to me after tracking. He says, how long have you have you been here now? And I said, about two years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, have you worked at the Westside Precinct the whole time? And I said, yeah. He said, that's good because you have a lot more experience than your academy mates. He says, if you talk to ones that went to Eastside or Northside, they don't have nearly the amount of call volume and experience yeah. as you do. And yeah. he says, that two years... Here, that's worth five years total of policing. Oh, yeah. And then I had a guy who was just in an academy after mine validate that with something he said to me on a call one time. We were talking. He, you know, he was, you know, newly released. And he says, how long have you been here now? I said, I'm just the academy ahead of yours. (sighs) Right. What, do I look like I'm 50? Exactly. (laughs) And I said, I'm the academy ahead of yours. And he was like, really? He says, just your demeanor and how you talk to people. Like, I thought you had been here for like four or five years. And I was like, no. Yeah. I just, like I said, I was working with older officers. Yeah. And I just kind of, and I'm pretty mellow anyway, but I just, you know, I learned how they learned. Now, good and bad, right? Because mm-hmm. then you also learn how to cope the way they cope. And that didn't always turn out. <laughs> right. You know, and I would have like, I remember being the basic training sergeant and you'd have this, they're like puppies. They're excited. Everything looks cool, shiny and new. Mm-hmm. And then they would go to FTO and then they'd come back for their phase boards. And you'd think you were talking to like a 10 year veteran. They're salty. They're already down on the department, uh, pay raises and and equipment and all this stuff. And I was like, that would be the downside, I think, because you should mm-hmm. still be excited about the job, but they spend a long, a lot of time with with someone who's salty and been mm-hmm. here for you know fifteen, twenty years, mm-hmm. and they start to take on that persona. And I'm like, hold on a second, bro, you barely got like two paychecks. Like, <laughs> hold on a second. But you know, in in Tucson or in Pima County, it was the same. If you worked out on the east side, it's a little more affluent. You're mm-hmm. probably gonna have less calls and not as not the same type of calls. Uh, Foothills was pretty busy. South side extremely busy. And so they told us that in the academy. And then when we would go back and meet for some kind of training or whatever, guys were like, yeah, man. And then like, there was a cow in the road. It was crazy. And I was right. like, we got into a pursuit. We like, <laughs> dudes were shooting at each other. Uh, this house was on fire and we were like getting them out. You know what I mean? Like right. different experiences. And it's like that in this valley. I'm sure it's probably like that in the Phoenix Valley too, mm-hmm. is it depending on which agency you go to. Yeah. You could have a totally different career. Oh yeah, I mean, you, you, your career and my career could be night and day, and we could have been working in the same city. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. in the same valley, you know. So, um, do you remember your first, let's say, your first vehicle chase solo? 
So, oh my goodness. See, I told you my brain is bad. I know. My I, first I'm solo vehicle. Well, we were kind of compacted in there, so it was never really solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Even though we rode um, single I man. I mean, did you get into a pursuit when you were on the FTO? I guess by solo, I mean in your own car, but. I, I don't remember FTO. I do remember like that. It wasn't mine. I just joined in. Yes, yeah. And it's a surreal experience where, you know, because you get that adrenaline rush, right? When the lights are going, the sirens, even if I hear it now, and I've been retired for three and a half years, I'm like, oh, where are we going? (laughs) I want to see. But you're flying through traffic and you're on autopilot, but not. Because sometimes I remember thinking... Oh my God, I'm driving so fast and I'm getting paid for this. Yeah. This is amazing. Do you remember what the chase was for? Um, warrants. Yeah. Warrants. Yeah. You know. Like when I started, you could chase even if if somebody ran a stop sign and you turn on your lights and siren and they take off. Oh wow. Oh, it's on till the wheels fall off. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. then over time that changed and basically it's gotta be a violent felony. You gotta get permission. Yes. And then, and see, at that time when I was working for Gwinnett County, I came on, I graduated in um, 2004 mm-hmm. and um, people knew, don't, don't mess around in Gwinnett. They will chase you. Uh, they okay. will chase you. <laughs> That's a good reputation to have. So like up we're here where I'm at, so there's suburbs around the city of Tucson. There's South Tucson, there's Marana, which mm-hmm. is the town I live in, and then Oral Valley. And for the longest time, and it's not quite so much anymore, but the reputation for Oral, Val- Oral Valley used to be, if you're even one mile an hour over, they're going to pull you over. And there's not even any warnings, mm-hmm. never. Mm-hmm. Always a ticket. And so people drive the speed limit in Oral Valley. But I would imagine that the statistics as far as car crashes, fatal car crashes, have to reflect mm-hmm. the fact that they had this reputation. So if your reputation is no. Yeah. No, you do not run from us because we will chase you and then your car's gonna be wrecked and you still go to jail. You know, that's mm-hmm. not a bad reputation to have necessarily, although, like I said, as time has gone on, I think the public's um like their tolerance for wait, wait, hold on a second. They ran a stop sign, you chased them and then they just killed some people. Right. Like, what? Right. You which, know what I mean? Which I understand. And yeah. I understand, like you said, like over time our pursuit policies got more restrictive and more yeah. restrictive. You know, there yeah. are some areas, you know, there's I mean, just in law enforcement period, like you have to check with a sergeant to arrest somebody, to write a ticket yeah. in, in some places yeah. across the country, which I'm just like you yeah. know, I understand like maybe getting approval for certain things, but the problem is um, that creates a culture of not being sure of yourself, right. and that will translate into um, a um, a critical incident. Yeah, you know, yeah. you may hesitate because you're thinking, if I have to ask my sergeant, can I arrest this person, or yeah. can I, ch- you know, can I chase this person? Okay, well, what happens in you know a lethal situation? Are you yeah. going to stop and think? What is my supervisor going to think if yeah. you know I use deadly force or even if I tase this person? Right. You know, sometimes go time yeah. is go time. Yeah, you need to be acting and not and not wondering. Right. You know, so you got to be sure of yourself for sure. Right. Yeah. Um. And so that one was for warrants, but yeah, the uh, when the lights and the sirens and you're the one that's driving. Yeah. Oh man, I knew exactly how fast. Every single one of my cars would went. Go. Yes, one hundred. And then you like you you get to where you're going and you can smell your car because it's yes. running so it's been yep. running so hot. Oh, we used to show up too, and we're like, "Is that your brakes or my brakes?" Because smoke would just be billowing <laughs> yep. up out of the wheel wells. You know, what, what were you driving back? I then? was just about to ask yeah. you the same thing. So my first car, number thirty-seven, was a Chevy Lumina. 
Oh. Uh, hey, don't talk about my loom jet. Was it a V6 or um, do you know? No. I nah. mean, it, whatever it what, whatever uh, police grade, yeah. you know, could afford or whatever. And then um, we, had, we had take-home cars at Gwinnett oh, nice. County. And then my last car was um, an Impala. It was a um, car 201. My my Impala, so that thing, like the big long, yeah. We oh, we we those. ran through some things on, on that car. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and that's what I always say. Like when I first started, I had this square Crown Vic that was ninety eight, and I had I think I like a ninety or ninety one Crown Vic, and then I went to one that was a little bit nicer, you know, a little more aerodynamic, and then my last car at the sheriff's department was a ninety five. Caprice or Impala mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a Corvette motor and, and transmission oh in it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was such a fun car. Such my, a fun car. My mother is obsessed with uh, vehicle pursuits, mm. like watching those videos on YouTube. Uh, and all she talks about is, oh, my goodness, it's a something something jailbreak. Um, oh, yeah, it's a Dodge. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, it's a Dodge she, Challenger. Oh, well, I think like, they have a Charger, too, jailbreak. She's like, I want one of those so bad. And she's like, I don't understand what's wrong with these people. She always talks about, um, I think, like the Arkansas Troopers. She says, you do not run from them. They will pit you. They mm-hmm. will catch you. Yeah. And that, that that's all she talks about. I was like, Mom, you're 73 <laughs> years old. You do not need a jailbreak uh, anything. Yeah. Sit down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what about your first foot chase or the one, the first one you can remember? Okay, so <laughs> I actually got injured. Ah. Um, at the time, I worked uh, 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. We're sitting in roll call, and we hear tra- we're in, and we hear this traffic come out from an officer saying he was at a location for a um, like a welfare check or something uh-huh. like that. Well, he's walking along the balcony of this apartment complex looking for the number, and he. As he walks by, he looks inside. This door is kind of open, mm-hmm. so he kind of looks inside. He sees a guy inside being burned with a an iron by another guy. Oh, geez. Okay, so now it's on. Like a clothes iron. Yeah, like a clothes gotcha. iron. Gotcha. Now it's on, right? Yeah. Well, we're running out of the precinct, like piling up in the doorway, trying to get out to get... So I started my day, instead of going to Starbucks, mm-hmm. um, this is in June, standing in uh, Georgia humidity... Um, with my cute sunglasses on, sweating unlike a lady, okay, <laughs> on perimeter in the woods, uh, getting yeah. eaten up by mosquitoes, all right? So they caught one guy. Mm. Well, they catch that guy, he rats, right? But I didn't know that at the time. Mm. Later on that night, I'm sitting, we had like an extended stay that had a lot of, you know, prostitution, yeah. solicitation, week, all that night. stuff. Yeah. yeah, we were there all the time. And... I'm sitting on the row of businesses behind this extended stay. Hmm. So it was like a tire shop and some other stuff back there, catching up on some paperwork. Well, I didn't hear the detectives. I'm sorry. No, the businesses were in front of it. The detectives were at the location Hmm. looking for the second guy. I don't know why I didn't hear them on the radio, if they were on a different channel or whatever, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden I hear that they're in a foot pursuit. Mm-hmm. And so all I can imagine, all I imagine is the detectives trying to run after somebody in this, these slick bottom shoes, yeah. you know? I'm sitting right there and I told him, I was like, um, I'm sitting right here and I didn't see him pop out, but I'll get out of my car and I'll check the area. So I'm walking, we didn't have, um, um, Gun mounted lights at the oh, time, okay, so, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I'm doing my little old school. Yeah, I'm doing my little. You yeah, know, get your hands, your flashlight. Doing my my hand and everything with my flashlight, and it was in between a tire shop and like I don't know, like a Dunkin' Donuts or something. I 
scan across and I see this guy with a t-shirt over his head, like hiding like behind this tree. And he pops up and I said, you better not move. You know, so I present my firearm. I said, you better not move. And he he has the shirt in one hand Mm -hmm. and the other hand up. And he kind of like whips the shirt in my direction. As he's doing that, he says, you can't touch me. And he takes off running. So I'm standing there for a couple of seconds like, did he just say that to me? <laughs> and all the only thing I can think to uh, say is, that is so rude. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So another uh, officer said... Oh, I'm about said, to reach out and touch you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, another officer said he heard me say that. And then I take off running after this oh guy. Oh, my gosh. So I'm running. And I remember the first couple of steps. I looked and I had my, um, I had my, my, my gun. gun in my hand. I holster up. Yeah. So we're running. Now, mind you, this isn't the desert. Like when you sweat, you dry. I am still damp mm. in my T-shirt, sports bra, and vest from st- sitting on that perimeter right. at 4 o'clock. This is about 9-something at night now. It's still humid. Yeah. Probably about 92 degrees, Oof. right? So we're running. So we run across these businesses and um, Jimmy Carter uh, Boulevard, it's like a wide, like it's three lanes on each side, right? At least it was then. It could be different now. But with the median, we're running. And I remember looking at the center median like, I'm getting really tired. I don't know how much (laughs) longer I could chase this guy. And I'm like 25 at the time. Uh. And I'm running. And across the street was, um, was a Hooters. But it was like up a hill, kind of. Classy joint. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, up a hill. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to make it up this hill. But then I hear a corporal running behind me he, who had a taser. Not everybody carried tasers yeah. because at the time um, you had to get tased to carry a taser. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not sadistic. Right. Like, I'm good. Yeah, the pepper same. spray wasn't enough. Yeah. I'm all set. Same. Um. So I hear him and he's running and I mean, he's real in shape dude, SWAT dude. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. So I hear him, you don't messed up now. You might as well stop. You might as well stop. Psychological warfare. So we start running up the hill and I'm like, my legs aren't going to make it, even though that gave me motivation. Mm -hmm. But at the top of the hill, I mean, I could lie and tell you the dirt came from under my feet, but I'm clumsy. So Mm -hmm. I probably just tripped while I fell into a split at the top of the hill, right? And I'm not flexible. I was going to say, could you do this, please? No, sir. No, sir. Never have been able to. Well, you can now. Uh, Right. (laughs) I pop up. And when I pop up, two things happen. Now the corporal, I can see the the red dot on the guy for the taser. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, bet. Well, I don't remember pulling my firearm again. Ooh. And I had my taser in my hand while I was running. Not my taser, I'm sorry. My, pe- my, my pepper spray in oh. my hand while I was running. I look up. I got my pepper spray in my left hand and my firearm in my right hand. And I'm like, I remember turning. What are you doing? Kind of thing. And so um, the guy got tased, awesome. right? Okay. So I put everything up. Now, as the adrenaline subsides, all of a sudden, I can no longer lift my right leg. Oh. Right? And I said, well, that's interesting. So I'm leaning on the front of a patrol car at one point, and everybody's coming because um, I think our some of our one of our special units was out, so they were coming that way. And actually, uh, one of my uh, the other female that graduated with me, mm-hmm. she says, "Girl, you flew across the front of my patrol car." Like still to this day, I don't remember seeing the traffic. Oh. She says you were running, and all of a sudden, whew, there you were, 
in front of my car. And that is, I've done that before where you don't pay attention to cross traffic. You're just chasing the bad guy. I thought I was paying attention yeah. though, but I didn't, I never saw her, her car. Yeah. And so everybody's giving you attaboys and all this stuff. And like, they think I'm leaning on the car, like, you know what I'm saying? Like Miami Vice style trying right. to be cool, but I wasn't, I couldn't move. Uh, and so the guy is being handcuffed. They're calling fire out to get the, you know, the prongs, the prongs. out. And so the guy like kind of turns his neck up at me and says, you did a good job of chasing me. And I looked and I said, I'm sorry, what happened? And he says, you did a really good job of chasing me. And I was so angry. And I was like, dude. Uh, if please. I can move this leg right now, I'd kick you. And no. that's pretty, that's basically what I said. Uh-huh. And so one of my academy mates was there and he was like, don't you talk to her like that? You know, so the sergeant comes over, a sergeant comes over. Mm-hmm. He's like, a, I call describe him like a big, like GI Joe type dude with a real deep voice. And he was like, I want you to go back to the station. And I said, no, I'm good, Sarge. And he says, I want you to go back to the station. So I'm like, okay. I didn't allow anybody to help me. I didn't tell anybody I was hurt. I'm limping, dragging this leg so across say, how you the drive street. Like that. Well, you lift your leg. That's how you drive. Okay. So uh, <laughs> you lift and you accelerate and you uh, brake. I was just down the street from my precinct. I ended up having to go to the hospital. I pulled a groin muscle and I tore a hip flexor. Oh, geez. From from and I was yeah. And so I was like, see, all right, I'm going to make uh, a deal with myself. After I turn 30, I'm not chasing people anymore. <laughs> oh, my. That's such a, that's such a veteran move, too, because, like, when you're young, like, I, I always caught the bad guys. And mm-hmm. I always wanted to catch them in that first sprint because with that extra, like, 40 pounds, your legs go rubber fast. And so, and then as I got a little bit older, then it was like, okay, I got to downshift and just mm-hmm. keep them in sight. And I start that psychological warfare mm-hmm. and the sirens start coming and either they're going to give up or the next guy that shows up is going to have fresh legs and you're just going to get jacked. And, and the, the, like you said, like, I remember getting to that, that median thinking like, oh my goodness, like my legs are yeah. just not good. And I was smaller than I am now. Mm. I, when I got out of academy, I was 135 pounds, but I'm wearing the same gear. Yes. As people bigger than me, yeah. and it and, and it's hot, so yeah. just the humidity and everything. And you didn't just have your Starbucks. No. I didn't have that, and I'm not. I'm not even a caffeine person. I just, uh, I was just wanting something cold to drink, and, and oh I was like, gosh. "This is terrible." Like I started out my day like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to Starbucks. I'm gonna get something refreshing to drink," and now I'm in the emergency room. <laughs> but you didn't need surgery. No, I didn't need oh, surgery, good. but. Um, I was out for two weeks. I should have been out longer, but you know that I got to get back to work. Right. And to the point where I didn't know how much you use those muscles for everything. Oh, yeah. And it hurt just to get up out of the car. I would have to swing my legs out of the car and think about standing up. And so when I came back, Mm. uh, the lieutenant says, who's the rookie on this shift? And the kid raises his hand. And he says, hey, I want you to follow her around the day. If she has to run, you run for her. You do not let her run today. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I, I mean, I still have problems with it now. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I just, I, you know, I just didn't let it heal. And I, those muscles are very important. Yeah. Hip flexor, especially. I mean, good grief. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to just gloss over, is there, I don't want to gloss over Gwinnett County. So any other like super significant or extraordinary experiences there? And then we'll talk about why you left and, and all your cool experiences here. Um. So... I, I did a short stint in narcotics and mm-hmm. vice, right? And um, special units aren't for everybody. Yeah. Um, I had a 
difference of opinion um, with my um, my supervision. I just mm. was like, I felt like we could be doing more, uh. but they only wanted to do this much, and I just was like, okay, well, I'll I'll go elsewhere, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I wanted to go back to patrol, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm good, and so uh, I went back. To I went to the assistant chief that was over patrol. I was like, "Hey, I know a guy that wants to come to narcotics. You know, you think we could do a one one for one swap? Because I want to go back and I would like to go back to my same precinct." Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, "Well, I'll, we'll see what we can do." Well, the cool thing was, well, I was mad. I was mad because some mess that happened with with a supervisor, and it just kind of pissed me off. And I felt like I wasn't being supported. So I go back to my old precinct and I run into my former lieutenant, mm. who's a real gruff guy. Mm. But I liked him because uh, my grandfather was like that. Uh. And I'm like, you don't scare me kind of thing. <laughs> Everybody else was afraid of him, but I'm like, he's a puppy. Oh I got gosh. it. He said, what's wrong with you? And I told him. And he said, I told you not to go back there in the first place. You should have stayed here. So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put my memo in in the morning to go back to patrol. And he's like, why wait till the morning? Like, write it now. So I wrote it. Then I went back up. I left in the lieutenant's box. Um, the next day, I actually ran into that same lieutenant coming to ask the um, the assistant chief over patrol if I can come back to his precinct. Uh-huh. I didn't ask him that. I thought that was really nice of him That's to cool. do that. And so, it's got to make you feel good. Like, like okay, he sees yeah. me as a legitimate cop. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And oh, I, I really cool. appreciated that. So I, I went back. I went back to my same cycle and everything. Mm-hmm. Well. Less than two weeks of being back on the road, I had one of those moments that validated why I enjoyed patrol so much. Mm. Um, in special units, you don't have that same people interaction. I like people. Yeah, I don't want to sit at a desk. I didn't like being right. on call. You know, um, you're you know, even though it's narcotics, it's not TV narcotics, and you're still you're a detective. Yeah, and I didn't like it. Yeah, you know, and so um, I went back to patrol. I ended up on a domestic call. And the mail was gone. I'm talking to the girlfriend and her young child was in the car. And she didn't live in our county. They were just driving through our county when this altercation happened. Well, later on that day, I'm on a call and dispatch sends me a message. It's like, hey, uh, the woman that you were on the domestic with earlier wants to talk to you. And she's at the precinct. I was (laughs) like, she doesn't even live over here. So she came the county over just to talk to me. But then... We had like a missing child call and I couldn't get to her and she actually waited for me. So I finished that call. I meet her at the station and she, or at the precinct and she says, you know, I just wanted to talk to you in person um, and thank you for how you uh, handled my call. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't the same day. I think it was a few days later. Uh And she says, I just wanted to thank you personally because We've had issues in our relationship. It's not the first time we've had contact with the police, mm. but you were the first officer to actually like make me feel comfortable, and I, I didn't feel ashamed to tell you what was going on with uh. us. And she says, you know, I you look like my sister, <laughs> and just the way you speak, you remind me a lot of her because she's my person. <laughs> and so she says, I just want to say thank you. She says, our relationship is not perfect. He's agreed to go to anger management, you know, and I said, okay, that's, that's something we'll see. Um, And then she told me they were engaged and I was like, well, I don't know about that, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, and I, I remember like having this interaction, we talked for a few more minutes and I thanked her. I said, wow, like we could have done this over the phone. She says, no, I really wanted to come do this in person. And can (laughs) I give you a hug? And I was like, sure. 
she leaves and my lieutenant, the, the gruff one, he was like, what are you smiling about? <laughs> and I said, this is why I came back to patrol. Mm-hmm. Because a lot sometimes in some special units, you don't know if you're making a difference. Yeah. And I'm not saying I do it for the I did sometimes it for the patrol, pats on the you back. You don't know if you're making a difference. <laughs> True. But when she came the county over, yeah. and some people aren't comfortable talking about domestic violence, especially if they feel like they're in front of somebody who they deem is stronger than them. Yeah. She didn't know what my background was. You know what right. I mean? But I said, because people want to be validated. People want to be seen. They want to be heard. Yeah. And so I said, this is why I, I like working. Working patrol right here, and that yeah. that like that moment always sticks out to me because it doesn't take much to be nice to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's you know we we put around for twenty years, and very rarely do you ever get that rest of the story, right? You know what I mean? Like we just don't because. Right. I've always said, I don't have that kind of headspace to always wonder like, hey, I wonder what happened with mm-hmm. this guy over here. I wonder mm-hmm. what happened with that lady and her children over here. Like, no, because as soon as you leave that crisis, you're you on the next one. On, yeah. You're on the next one. Mm-hmm. You're on the next one. So we, very rarely do we get closure. Yeah. And that's what like somebody had said about my book. They're like, so whatever happened with that? I was like, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. know. Like, (laughs) doesn't that bother you? No, because after I left that crisis, I went to another one and then another one and then another one. And some of them were really cool. Some of them not so much. Yeah. Uh, And if they were really cool, then they made it in the book. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So um, now let me ask you this, because I'm always curious about perspective of, first of all, this is like a male dominated career field. Mm -hmm. So did you ever get any kind of a pushback or anybody ever say anything to you? Like, why do you want to do that? Um, not internally. Um, right, right, right. The public, yes. Yeah. It, it was funny. I was actually, I was standing in line at a grocery store and the, I was the same grocery store I shopped in all the time. So the clerk knew or the cashier knew that I was law enforcement. So they were asking me a question. So it was a woman standing in line behind me. She says, I'm sorry, did I hear that you're a police officer? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, she's just like, she said, do you have a partner that you ride with? And I was like, no, we're, we're, we, you know, one man units or right. one woman unit, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, she said, every time I think about this, it makes me laugh. She says, they let you out by yourself? Oh, my God. And I'm like, do I have rabies? Like, am I a danger to, to yeah, the public? I've got all my shots. What are you talking about? Right. No. And I was like, what? Like, my mom was nervous about it, obviously. Yeah. My and that's gr- one of my questions, too. Yeah, like, how did your like, family feel about my, it? My grandmother was nervous. My grandmother was cute. Like, she's... You know, Southern woman from, uh, you know, from Birmingham, Alabama, you know, worked for the government till she retired, volunteered at her church forever. You know, she was an usher, you know, so my, my little grandma, right? And I'm telling her about police academy. And I remember one time she says, I was telling her about all the bruises I had from, you know, doing um, defense tactics week. And she says, well, baby, um, can't they find somebody your size for you to fight in academy? And I said... Granny, the thing about that is a lot of the public isn't my size. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, so I, if somebody wants to get into a tussle with me, I can't ask them to be, to replace, you know, hey, could you find somebody more my size to fight with? And yeah. then we can, you know, and I said, yeah. so Wait, that's just not what it out. is. No. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so I just thought that was funny, uh, just from her perspective yeah. too. And she's like, you know, it's just dangerous. She lived in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And she said, you know, these cops go through it, you know. Yeah. So... It was, did you ever get any pushback? Like anybody's like, why do you want to do that? I didn't really get any pushback. And, right. I, and I'm thinking it's just because of my personality yeah. um, and ROTC. So I think people oh, yeah, knew yeah. like, okay, well, it was either going to be military for Lindsay anyway, yeah. or yeah, we can see Lindsay, you know, being in law enforcement now. Um, what about from the public when you show up? 
So hold on, I, like, I was gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna tell you that, but because yeah. uh, I do have something funny to say about that. But um, during academy, I started dating someone else. Huh. Right, yeah, I broke yeah. up with that other guy, so I started dating it. You know, and we had known each other for a long time. We had been friends and, and didn't date till years later. Well, he turns to me one day and says, "We're just watching TV in my living room," and he says, "I don't like what you do for a living." I said, excuse me? <laughs> and he says, I don't like what you do for a living. I said, oh, okay, well, I don't like you enough to quit. <laughs> wow. Like, you know, <laughs> no. you know, and I said, I mean, if this is going to cause a problem, like, let me know now. And yeah. I, I would run into that sometimes, even meeting guys, you know, on the job. You know, once they found out I was a police officer, it was almost like, well, you you're tougher than me or your job uh, is more masculine. And I'm like, just, you know, like you said earlier, you can always go apply. Yeah. You can do a ride along. You can see what's what out here. And right. I'm not looking at it like, oh, I'm tougher than you. And so on the street, <laughs> I remember showing up on a call one time and this wasn't even anything crazy. This lady just had a toilet that was running and she couldn't figure out how to turn it off. She was a, she was a widow and, you know, there were just certain things, and it was an older home, so where the valve was wasn't like how you can just go to the back of your toilet and turn it off. Right. This was an interesting toilet. They don't even make this toilet anymore. Mm. So the valve was somewhere else. She opens the door. It takes her like five minutes to come to the door. She opens the door, and she goes, they sent a woman? <laughs> oh, Wow. Out of respect, I didn't say, well, I can leave. If it was a younger person, I probably would have said that. And I said, ma'am, how can I help you today? I turned that valve off like that. Mm. Okay. Like, I know how to problem solve. Right. Um, or I had braces at one point, mm -hmm. and I would have people say things to me like, are you even young enough? Uh, yeah. Are you old enough to have this job? Like, you're, yeah. you're young. Like, I mean, that's what I'm at. You're, are you even old enough yeah, yeah. To, to be here? And I'm like, I'm here, aren't I? Yeah. You like, get your parents' permission slipped. Yeah. Clearly. How? Yeah. How? And then, or people would be confused. They would stop like mid explaining their issue. How old are you? <laughs> like, I'm older than I look. Uh, Can we finish this? No, we had a recruit, and this is what I've said so many times on the show, like, like, like you explained earlier, there was days where when I left at the end of that day of FTO, I seriously thought, like, I'm, I'm getting fired. Like, yep. I can't keep screwing up. Mm -hmm. At some point, they're going to realize I'm a fraud, and they're going to, like, send me back to the jail, whatever. Mm -hmm. And... um and it was a tough job. But once you get the hang of it, then you're like, ah, yeah, oh, we got 100%. this. But I felt like for a lot of my classmates and a lot of my coworkers, if they were female or if they were like a person of color, like when I worked in the jail, in the prison, the the inmate population and the public was harder on my friends mm -hmm. that were female or people of color than they were on me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, you're a sellout. And I'm like, hold on a second, man. Here's a dude who's doing something positive. He's a productive member of society. He chose this profession and he's the sellout. Like, mm -hmm. come on. Come oh, I've, on. I've had that. I've yeah. had that. And it's just funny because it's, I, I tell people either they hate you or they love you. So, you know, yeah. as, you know, as a black officer, I would show up and either somebody's trying to be my friend yeah. Like I'm gonna let some things slide, uh -oh. or you know they're on the offensive immediate or the defensive immediately, yeah. and yeah. they're like, "You're a sellout. You're this. You're yeah. that." And I said, so for them, it's more about them seeing my brown skin in that blue uniform, and it just turned them off. And yeah. I'm like, I'm here to help. Like I'm not here right. to do anything. I'm I'm sorry that you've had like bad experiences right. with other officers in the past, no matter what their race. Or gender is, but I'm not that person. Right. And I and I feel like 
as I got older, I was pretty good at explaining stuff like that to people and not taking it so personal yeah. to the point where I would have people apologize to me for how they came off to me <laughs> in the well, first good, place. Because shame on them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, as law enforcement, we do a poor job of explaining things, right? Yeah. Or sometimes it's like, you ever been on scene and somebody wants to know what's going on and we just keep telling them to get back and we're not giving them any information? Right. I said, we can't do that. We have to give them something. Yeah. I know there's things we can't give them. You can say something as simple as, you know what? We have a lot of moving parts right now. Let me see what information I can get for you. Right. You know, and I'm not saying lie to them. Go check with the supervisor right. or just explain why we're approaching it the way we're approaching it because yeah. we're coming from two different perspectives. Yeah. And I, I told I told some young kids at um, when I was working at Tempe at uh, was it Arizona Mills one time. Some a threats call came out. Two people would you know jaw jacking back and nice forth. Mall. I know it was interesting, and yeah. we swarmed it because somebody said they were going to go get a gun and shoot somebody. Yeah, and both parties called, but one party like amped it up, you know, kind of thing. And we responded the way we yeah. needed to. We locked the parking lot down. We did this. We did that. Right. And then you know one group was like, oh, you're just doing this, you know, because we're native and da 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 this thing that and the other. And mm-hmm. I was with two of the the younger crowd, and I finally explained to them. I said, first of all, I didn't know what anybody was when we first got here, yeah. right? Yeah. And also, I have to respond to what my dispatcher is telling me. Mm-hmm. Now, the person that called it in was not being truthful, but we're going off of the information that we have. I wasn't with you all. So that's why we have people separated. So eventually I explained all of that and we were huddling up after everything was cleared out. We found out that the guy just exaggerated because he got punked in front of his girl is basically what happened. And then he's going to call him like, oh, he threatened to shoot me. He threatened to rob me. Mm. And it turned into this big thing. We're trying. We're doing like a little debrief of the call, and the two young kids. One of them, the older of the two um, teenagers, came over, and he says, "Can I talk to you for a minute?" I was like, "Sure." And he says, "You know, I really want to apologize for how we came off earlier. We were mm. just, just the approach. It was just a lot, and you know, thank you for explaining it that way because yeah. now I understand." And I said, "No problem." And a couple of the other officers that were kind of in this huddle were like, "We don't ever get that." I said, "Because you don't tell people stuff." Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it is already a hard job. And so, you know, we had a gentleman that, that got hired by the city and he kind of expressed that. He's like, when I was growing up, I was always told, don't ever talk to them. Mm-hmm. You can't trust them. Mm-hmm. They do this, they do this, X, Y, and Z, whatever. So he wanted to get on the department because he was going to change it from the inside right. out. Right. You know, and that was his goal. And... um and I think what he ended up finding, because I met with him later and said, so tell me, because I was a lieutenant at this point, and okay. he's just this little baby cop, you know. I said, so how's it going? He said, it's not what I thought it was. Uh-huh. You know, what I found is that the men and women around me are doing great work mm-hmm. and the right thing for the right reasons. And it's it's my neighborhood that is like chipping at me, mm-hmm. you know, and saying stuff to me and, and, and you know critical of my my choice and career mm-hmm. when I just want to make a positive difference in my community. I want them to see someone that looks like them coming to help yeah. and they don't see it like that. Yeah, 100%. And then, yeah. you know, because we need a little bit of everybody, yeah, well, you yeah. know, and, you know, different backgrounds and everything like that, yeah. different upbringings, religions, because you we, we're dealing with a very mixed population yeah. and you can relate to people differently, yeah. you know, and it's nice. Like you said, somebody may feel more comfortable with this officer, but like you said, to have somebody that looks like you, especially if you don't see it all that often, right. or just, you just feel like you can relate, you know, cause sometimes 
if you had something going on, you would, and I'm just assuming, and you can correct me, you may look to a male, like your buddy, yeah, to speak like a to, yeah. right? Or and I may look to a female, you know, especially I'm a mom, so you know, maybe another officer that is a mom yeah. and a wife, and just like, oh, girl, let me tell you about this, because you want somebody to relate. Yeah. You're like, oh, so I'm not the only one that goes through this. So my kids are normal. They're not weird little well, aliens. Maybe. Okay, cool. Yeah, maybe. Okay, got you, got you. You know, so but we need that. And when it's when it's applicable, you know, cool. But yeah. sometimes it's not, and you just have to get what you get. Yeah. You know, but I think sometimes just as law enforcement, we do a poor job uh, of explaining situations. Yeah, and just you can give people like little nuggets. I feel like in order for me to be effective, because you, like you said, you get that adrenaline mm-hmm. and you would hear guys or girls on the radio and they start like their, the voice gets higher and higher. And before you know it, they're like <laughs> screaming. And I remember learning that lesson in the jail that I never wanted to be that guy. Okay. And so <laughs> I, have a story I used about to that try later. and like <laughs> use my energy to like channel my focus, you Think. know, yeah. and, um, what I had to do so that I wouldn't pop out of the car and be all spastic is I had to take on this this idea of, you know what, I'm just going to act like I'm already sick of, like, you called me here for this. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, mm-hmm. this is why we're here. Mm-hmm. And if I kind of take on that attitude of being put off by the fact that I have to come and teach you how to uh, talk and, and not bite people, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. then, like, this is ridiculous kind of a deal. And so... It allowed me to focus mm. and 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 be efficient. Right. It wasn't always necessarily good for them because right. I'm going to problem solve, and then I'm I'm out. Yeah. You know. And so yeah, I'm not going to sit here and always have a. You know what I found is that in those times where I felt like I tried harder to work something out for somebody or I was going out of my way, mm-hmm. I would get complaints. Mm-hmm. If I was cold and I was just like, boom, boom, this is what we're doing. You go that way. You go that way. Any questions? I didn't think so. Boom, and I'm out. Right. Never hear back from those people. Yeah. No, I've, I've been in those situations. Like, what the heck, man? I really went out of my way to try and help those people. Mm-hmm. And they're calling to complain. Like, I guess maybe they felt like I was too much into their business. I don't even know. I just... I've, yeah. I've had that. I've had that before. But, you know, you, you can't make everybody happy. That's what it boils down to at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. You, you yeah. can't make everybody happy. And you can just go in and, you know, um, handle the call to the best of your knowledge and yeah. the best of your skill level. And, you know, your perception of how I handle it, I, I I know what I did well. Well, and that's the thing is like you can take 10 cops and send them to the same scenario. They will handle it differently. And we're all going to do it different. Mm-hmm. We just all have to get to that same conclusion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And when I started with the sheriff's department, there wasn't that many of us. Mm-hmm. So not only did you have to come to the same conclusion, but you better like get to it. Yeah. Because while you're here milking this call, yeah. everybody else is getting their butts kicked Waiting and, for you to get back out. And slow down. I had a sergeant at Tempe that would tell us all the time, slow down. Most calls, we have the ability to use our resources, yeah. gather information. There's, you know, you have few calls where you just have to run in there immediately. Yeah. Slow down. So th- that's what was always in my mind as, you know, like I said, you get that adrenaline run in because lights and sirens or you hear like you, you hear that stress yeah. in your zone partner's voice and you're like, I got to get there kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, okay, slow down, slow down. Because if I'm all, you know, in a tizzy in my brain, I'm going to miss things and I can't be right. effective on this call. Yeah. So what makes you leave uh, Georgia? The humidity? 
No, no. <laughs> She's mentioned that a couple times now. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I, the mosquitoes. No. I no, I I love Georgia. Yeah, and I still love Georgia to this day. I think I was just at a place where I was just looking for something different. I didn't know what that different was, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to go somewhere else. But I will say this: part of it was I was unhappy, mm-hmm. right? And so in the beginning, I was like, "Oh, I'll move, and that will make everything better," mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But then when I really thought about that, I was like, but you take you with you. And so what kind of woke me up to that was two things. Um, a guy I used to work with, um, he was at my precinct, then he went to narcotics. And mm-hmm. I always knew when he was at our precinct, because he would leave a picture of a Smurf in my mailbox. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. what is that? And he would call me Smurf okay. all the time. And I was like, okay, like, what is this about? So finally I see him one day. I was like, dude, why, like, how old are you? Why are you leaving? I, do I look, I'm brown. Do I look like a little blue creature, woodland uh, creature thing? He says, well, you walk around here like a little angry Smurf all the time. And I was like, mm. oh, Okay. And then the next thing that happened was one of our corporals, he was like one of those really cheery jipper guys. He mm. comes ditty bopping through the um, the roll call room and he always like, hey, good morning. You know, he's oh. one of those guys. And he said something to me one day and I gave some sort of negative response or whatever. I was yeah. like, like you were talking about like somebody who hasn't been on that long and they're all jaded yeah. and just all grumpy and stuff. And so that was me like four years in, right? Oh. And... He just stops and he looks at me and he says, what do you like? I say, excuse me? He says, what do you like? Because I only ever hear about the things that you hate or that you dislike. Mm. You hate this. You don't like this policy. Ouch. And I was like, ew. Because that bothered (laughs) me. Don't be putting that mirror in my face. Right. And I was like, okay, so I'm an angry Smurf. And now now I'm negative. And I was like, well, that's not me naturally. Right? And so... um, what I tell people is now that I'm better educated on cumulative stress and all that other stuff like that, looking mm. back, I was dealing with anxiety, but I didn't have a name for it because we weren't, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. We, we didn't talk about it. You just drank it away, right? <laughs> you hang, you go to a bar after you got off of work, which we would do, or go to somebody's house, mm. and then you come back to work and do it all over again the next day, right? right. Without really processing anything. And so I was like, all right, I have to start doing some work on myself before I leave because like I said, you take you with you. And the new place can be great, experiencing new people, but then after a while, it's the same. It's the same thing. So my cousin was actually living in Arizona. He says, you should come out here and check it out. And I was like, I don't know, it's dry and it's brown. Like... (laughs) It's not pretty. <laughs> right. And I said, I, I don't know. Yeah. And so I came out to visit and this was like April of uh, 07. And it was cool out here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I had to buy a long sleeve shirt because I just bought T-shirts with me because I'm mm. thinking it's going to be hot. No, yeah. it was not. It was yeah. not. Uh, for whatever reason, it was cool that April. And I got out here. He showed me you know, all these different places. And I was like... This is a half bad. Like, yeah. you, there, there's a mountain. Like, even though I've been here since 08, I'm yeah. like, that's crazy. There's a mountain <laughs> right there that you can go hike. The grid system is great. Yes. Super easy to get around. Yeah. Um, Something about the East Coast and all these real, like, weird centric concentric circle. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Like, out here, I love the grid. Yeah, the grid is you nice. Know? The gr- yeah. The grid is nice. But at the same time, um, although, yes, our summers are hot. But for the most part, 
you can vacation within this state. You can get whatever climate you want. Yeah. You can go up north and get some snow. Yeah. You can come down south, you know, down here to 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 uh, Tucson, get a little warmer if you want, yeah. um, or get the actual like coolness of the desert that a lot right. of people think we have. I said Phoenix doesn't have that. No. We have way too much asphalt and concrete for that. Yep. And right? that's what I tell my buddies that live up there. I said, you know, in the summertime when mm-hmm. it's 115, we can still get an overnight low in yes. like the mid to high 70s. Mm-hmm. And up there, it's Not still us. 100 degrees at night. It never cools off. Two and three in the morning, I always know I wake up because the house gets hot and I have to go turn the air down, it will still be 100 degrees sometimes yeah. because the ground is giving it back. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I mean, you can be active year-round here. I mean, we have yes. Barrett-Jackson. We have, um, what, spring training, the Arabian Horse Show. Like, right. we have all these activities. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I'll give it a try. And he had a buddy that worked, uh, does executive security for, like, celebrities and stuff mm-hmm. who knew some cops out here. And his buddy was like, hey, you should check out Paradise Valley. It's a small department, yeah. really affluent area. So I said, okay, I'll check it out. Well, I got hired by them. Yeah. At the time, they only hired out-of-state laterals because huh. Paradise Valley is just too small and didn't have the call volume to spend yeah. the money to put somebody through an academy. Yeah, I'd imagine you were probably bored there. I was bored. Now, I really enjoyed the officers that I worked with, and yeah. I, I I miss working with them because I literally worked with people from all over the country, yeah. I from Alaska to New York. And so it was really cool because we just, we, everybody did things different. We came from different cultures and things like that. So, but yes, as far as the workload goes, yeah, nothing, nothing real exciting. Alarm calls. Uh, Alarm calls. Um, Sometimes you get a burglary because your house is so big, like you don't lock all your doors and windows. And then when you go to call the the owner, you know, they're in their other home in another state and they're just kind of like, That sounds horrible. Meh. We'll get to it when we get back. Me, I'd be like, oh, Lord, they they took a pack of ramen. Like, that belonged to me. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, you oh. know, but I mean, it was it was a good experience. And the full-time residents love the police department there. Yeah. You know, and um, it, I had a guy tell me one time, he says, now, don't be surprised if a homeowner will ask you to park your car down the street or enter their house through, like, the service entrance. And I mm. said, well... Considering what color I am, (laughs) you're not going to ask me to enter through the back of anything, particularly the servant's interests. If your life gets so out of control, like I've already said a couple of times, that a third party has to come help you control it, I'm parking my car out front and I'm coming to your front door. But we have had people ask us to move our cars. We're in the middle of dealing with an out-of-control child. And this woman asked if we can park down the street because she didn't want her neighbors to know oh, what was going no, no. on. And I was like... Yeah, no, we're not doing that. Well, now the next person's going to pull into your driveway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, I got a buddy of mine. He was actually my two-striper in 2010. And um, I want to say it was when I was a lieutenant. So maybe like 15 or 16 or 17, he lateraled up to Paradise Valley. Oh, really? Because he'd already been a sheriff for a couple of years. Okay. And then he'd worked at TPD for a couple of years. And he was looking to just... Yeah. Just kind of coast into the sunset for his last, and try and get his high three. I and, think is and what that's, he was trying to do. And that and that's the perfect department for yeah, that, in my yeah. opinion. I was twenty eight when I got there. Yeah, I think he's still there. Honestly. Yeah. And then so. um, you just made me think of something. Oh. I worked. No, a guy from Tucson PD that I worked with at Tempe, Johnny Wood. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that dude. Loved him. Yeah, he's such a good. Oh dude. my goodness, I yeah. loved him in every aspect. Like he was so level headed. Yep. had all this great experience. He's not arrogant nope. at all. Yeah, um, and just we got along really well. And but he I, left there too. Yeah, he he's San Francisco PD. And but listen, I told him before he left, and I hope he hears this because he did not listen to me. I said, You really need to research where you're going. Nothing wrong with San Francisco PD, but you're not going to be able to afford to live in the city. Yeah, yeah. He was such a good dude, and he was like Mr. SWAT, Mr. Like Amateur Bodybuilder. Yep. And then, um, the biggest thing about Johnny Wood is he was a prankster. Yeah, so what he used to do is his most notorious prank was that he knew how to go into your computer and if you typed the word the mm-hmm. T-H-E, he had set the computer to auto replace it with some ridiculous yeah. whatever. So you're typing your report and then you look up and it's <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because he sabotaged your computer. Yep. And then one time we were in the bike unit together mm-hmm. and somebody gave that idiot the label maker. Oh my God. And he went through and there was there was door Doorknob, cabinet. I mean, he labeled everything with that thing. And then he left. And it was kind of a bummer because when you have someone that is a good Mm -hmm. squared away cop, it sucks to see those people go. And he was so humble too. That's the thing I liked about him with everything that all the training, you know, being a paramedic, um, you know, military, you know, Navy SEAL training, like all of this stuff that he had. And then he was so humble. And I told him one time, I said, (laughs) you know, like most of the guys here have a man crush on you, right? (laughs) Like they want to be, you're their Ken doll. Like they, you're their GI Joe, I should say. Like they want to be you. And he was like, what are you talking about? I said, you haven't noticed like the uptick and like cut off workout shirts. Oh, <laughs> I said, and uh, I'm going to tell you the autoplex down the street. Oh, the Jeeps. They're definitely selling more. Oh, did he have a Jeep? Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that. Mm-hmm. I do remember that he had been, this is when we were working on the South side. He had been dating and you know, it's, I don't know. If you work in any other line of work, where would you meet someone that you might become life partners with at work or mm-hmm. at a church or some other kind of social organization? But when when you're a cop, you can't really do that because unfortunately, cops tend to date each other even when they're already still like married to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, so I remember he was dating one time and he called in sick. Okay, big deal, whatever. The The person he was dating at the time, she showed up. In the back parking lot, she was a cop and she wanted, she was like all of his coworkers as they were coming out, they're like, where, where is he? Oh no. Oh yeah. Like stalking basically, oh, you know? Problem. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 And we were like, oh, you want to cut ties with that one yeah, dude. No, Cause she's in the back parking lot and wants to know why you're not here. Oh no, no, we yeah. can't do that. All kinds no. of craziness. He, but yeah. He was a good dude. I hadn't heard I, that name in a long time. No, I loved him and I, yeah. I hate that he left. Like he was, you just made me think of it when you Johnny were, Wood. I was like, oh no, he was, he's a good dude. Yeah. He was a really good Super dude. Good. But yeah, he was. So you wanted to change. Now yes. my sister, I told you that they live in Decula mm-hmm. and they were in Phoenix from almost the time they got married. And my brother-in-law does computer programming. Okay. And you could do that from anywhere, really. But they were just tired of 100 plus degrees, seven out of 12 months. Yeah. And they're like, where else can we go that has like similar size city, mm-hmm. same kind of opportunity for jobs? And so they had selected a couple of places and then they went out and I think they were living in Alpharetta at first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they went back a couple of times at different times of the year so they could feel the seasons and that kind of stuff. And then they just 
that, you know, my, my sister, her husband and their two daughters, they just picked up and they've probably been there more than 10 years now, probably going on 15 years. They, and they moved from Alpharetta over to Decula and they yeah. like it over there. Um, Decula's so built up now too. That's yeah. the crazy thing. Like yeah. the Decula that they first moved to, I mean, it, it, like even when I was going to college, every time I would come home from college and I was just four hours away uh-huh. from where we lived in Gwinnett County, something new was being built. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I would turn around and be like, like, even when I go now, I'm like, I don't even know where I am. And I used to work this, this area right here. So yeah, yeah, it is, Gwinnett has definitely filled in. Like a lot of those rural spaces has definitely filled in. So you, you take the plunge where they sad to see you leave? Yeah. Yeah. I I had people, uh, cause I had, at the time I had like two sergeants fighting for me to come to their unit. Mm -hmm. And people were trying to talk me out of moving, and they were like, well, you know, why would you give up? Like, you could go anywhere you want. And I said, and I do understand that, but yeah. sometimes it's bigger than that. And like they're who's like, who's going to be the angry Smurf now? Right, exactly. And, and I said, well, uh, they're like, well, why would you give up your, you know, your, your seniority and all this other stuff? And, and then what I find is, and I don't know if you experienced this when you, you know, lateraled, hmm. people start projecting their insecurities as to why they uh, wouldn't leave. It was, well, I can't go because I own a house. Well, I got kids. Uh, well, I've been here for a certain amount of time. Now, I did have a sergeant tell me, if you're going to leave, do it before you hit five years. Yeah. He did tell me that. And I said, okay. And then, um, but I grew up moving around. Both of my parents, they're in the music business. Mm-hmm. My dad, you know, was a professional drummer. My mother was a music executive. And so we moved with the music, you know, and so I was used to that never stopped my parents from moving, from, from moving us somewhere. Like I've, I'm, I've been the new kid a lot of times, you know? And, um, so to me, those were all excuses because my parents never let them hold that, that them back from, from an opportunity. And I said, well, I'm going. And my mom always taught me, you know what, if you don't like it, you can always come home or go somewhere else. Look at all these all this space we have in this country, find somewhere else to be, <laughs> you know? So I was very grateful to grow up like that. But some people, they just get scared and they get locked into yeah. what they're doing. And I'm like, you know, that could be your opportunity to really shine and, and be be a different person. Yeah. So Paradise picks you up. Mm-hmm. It sounds like your experience was pretty much what I understand it to be yeah. based on all the descriptions of what people have told me. Because Paradise Valley from what I understand is now it's like the new Scottsdale. Like back in the day, Scottsdale used to be like the ritzy part of town and the affluent side of town. And then now it seems like it's like Paradise Valley really is that, that location. (laughs) I was getting something to eat one time at a a fast food place just inside of, uh, of Scottsdale and a Scottsdale cop comes over to me at the parking lot. He says, Paradise Valley has their own police department. And I said, yes. He says, I thought we patrolled you guys, or I thought that was county. And I was like, no, we have our own. I think at the time, uh, top to bottom, there were like 28 officers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Paradise Valley is about 16 square miles, you know, but it was just funny the way he said that. He says, I work right here and I had no idea. <laughs> wow. You know, the guy uh, that lateraled up there, um, one of his off duty gigs. Like I said, he's trying to max his high three is what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. One of his off-duty jobs was to sit there and watch the CCTV 
at the Phoenix Suns games because I guess the owner of the Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. lives up there in Paradise Valley. And mm-hmm. so he would hire Paradise Valley cops to work off duty at the games. And so his whole job was to sit there and they'd bring him food and drinks and he would just watch the little CCTV mm-hmm. and make sure nothing was going on, get paid a buttload of money off duty, and then go back home. I've, and- I've, I've had an off-duty job like that where mm. they built a guard shack just for the officers to come sit. They knew they wanted officers. Yeah. And I was an eight-hour shift. I was making it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great go-out money. You know right, what I mean? And right. his the wife would like stock us up with snacks, anything we needed. They had an elaborate camera system. You'd walk the property, beautiful property. And when a, in a clear night, I would just sit in their backyard sometimes and look at the stars. Mm. And I'm like, this is crazy that I'm getting paid for this. <laughs> like this yep. is wild. Protected sir. Yeah, you know. Uh, so it's. I mean, hilarious. no, but overall, I mean, Paradise Valley was. It was. I like to tell people it was a nice like introductory department for me being in a new state. And then, you know, I I worked there for a year and a half before moving over to And I was going to say, probably, I guess one of my biggest concerns or my biggest fears, like, so a buddy of mine left here and went to California Mm. and he's still a cop in California. I just, I know that the criminal code and all of the laws and the radio and all that stuff is totally different than here. So I guess if you do have to transition away from Georgia to Arizona, at least you have an opportunity to kind of become familiar with like ARS and and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I did a, um, I did a post equivalency exam. So I didn't have to do a new academy. That was one of my first questions. (laughs) I said, I'm not doing academy again. And don't you know, I got a hip flexor. Yeah. Like I have an issue. Um, and academy (laughs) here is way different. (laughs) Well, that was the one physical mental. That's that's totally different. But, um, but yeah, so an academy here is completely different than mm-hmm. what I and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't last. My mouth wouldn't mm-hmm. uh, that that wouldn't work for me. But yeah, so it was you know, you're just like you said, I know how to be a police officer. I just right. need to learn how to be a police officer here. here. Right. The paperwork, the codes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just get a feel for the neighborhood, for the community that right. you're working in too. So you stay there for 18 months. Anything significant or extraordinary happen other than being told to come in through the service entrance? Um, well, no, that was, they said it would happen, but it never happened to me because, you know, I, yeah, we, nah, I'm not doing that. We won't have a problem, but <laughs> yeah. I actually, um, I arrested a murder suspect nice. unknowingly. <laughs> so oh, yeah, that happens. I, uh, <laughs> I was not big on traffic. Any supervisor I've ever had, you can ask them, what was your biggest complaint That's with Lindsay? That's how you catch the murderers. And they're like, other than her attitude, uh, she never wanted to do traffic. So I was working- Because I just, other people like to do traffic. Why do I have to do it? I'm a good talker. I'm a good community <laughs> person. I'll go domestics. I'll do your robberies hmm. and things like that. But one, I don't feel like harassing people out in their car because uh, some people just get ticket happy and mm. I, I don't want to. And yeah. if there's something wrong, there's something wrong. But I'm just, other people like to do it. Let them do it. Gotcha. Let me do what I want to do. So that's, that's, you know, I know that doesn't work in our structure, yeah. but just leave me alone. So, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to do traffic. So I ran a plate, I pulled them over, and I realized I had transposed two characters. And so um, I'm just letting them know I'm not, you know, I'm going to cut you loose. But while I'm talking to them, I see this guy walking up the street. And this is about three, four in the morning. Yeah. Now, people go jogging in Paradise Valley. Yeah, because that's the coolest time of the day. But not at that time, right? Um, and people, you you know, we have the resorts over in Paradise Valley, and you would have, you know, the staff, you know, changing shifts, going to the bus stop and things like that. Again, it wasn't time for that. Mm-hmm. He has on a flannel 
shirt, jeans, and work boots. And I'm like, where is he going to? Yeah. That's weird. So clear that call. I catch up with him and uh, I start talking to him. And I could tell he's a little nervous, but I couldn't tell why at the time. And then uh, a second officer comes up and um, I say, hey, you mind hanging out with him, you know, real quick? And, you know, I'm just kind of looking around the car. He gives, he gives me his ID. And I say, hey, man, where, where are you going? Oh, I'm sorry, not, not the car. That was the, the first stop. I'm getting it confused. Hmm. He's standing there talking to the guy. And then I come back and I said, where, where are you going? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm doing some construction work for a woman and my car broke down. And so I just decided I was going to walk to the job. And I was like, okay, well, where's your car? Mm-hmm. And he tells me where it broke down, but he just came from the direction where all the gas stations are. Mm-hmm. Paradise Valley doesn't have a gas station. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, all right, doesn't make sense. Go right. run him. Well, then, you know, the alert comes over the radio. <laughs> They're like, uh, you somewhere where I can talk to you? Right. Yeah. Oh, it was a file stop on this guy because he's wanted in homicide that had occurred earlier that day. Oh, dang. So they give me um, the number for the homicide detective. I call the homicide detective. This guy is so delirious, right? After working this call all day, he oh. thinks somebody's joking with him. He says, I don't have time for this. Like, y'all don't mess with me. I'm tired. Was and it I, Paradise Valley or a different agency? It was Phoenix. Okay. And he okay. says, and I said, I'm, I'm not joking with you, sir. And then finally he wakes up. He's like, I'm so sorry. So I told him what happened. And his question to me repeatedly was, he gave you his ID? And I said, he did. So he just gave it to you. <laughs> and I yeah. said, I asked and he gave it to me. So I said, well, what happened? And he was like, well, he, um, the guy, it was, this was a meth situation. <laughs> okay. He was beefing with his son over a woman. The guy I stopped hires his buddy to kill his son. Didn't go well for the buddy. Mm. The son is younger and stronger, beat the brakes off that dude, ends up killing him in self-defense. Oh, wow. Right? Now, I said, this is crazy. I said, was this on the news earlier today? He was like, yeah. I said, me and my mom went to lunch today. We came back, her TV was on, uh. and I look, and they're talking about a murder scene where a, a son killed a father. That's how the story came out originally. Uh, shocking and, it wasn't correct on the news. It, right, right, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. But then the detective was like, no, that's not what happened. That's what it looked like initially. Right. So I said, okay. Well, now, of course, the suspect, uh, you know, now he has, his chest is hurt. He's breathing hard. Of I said, course. well, yeah, if, if I got caught too <laughs> after committing a murder or being, a, you know, setting somebody up to be murdered, my heart would hurt too. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I ended up having to transport him over to a Phoenix station and he, um, you know, they took him from there. Now, fast forward, I'm sitting in a police conference and they were going to, they were talking about crime scene stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was two Phoenix guys and they said, we're going to put up a list of names and we're going to ask you if you know anybody, because I have had it to where somebody was related to the victim. Mm. And I said, oh my God, like that is, that's got to be horrifying. (laughs) Yes. Right. Yeah. I see the guy's name on the list and I raise my hand and he's like, how, how are you related to this? And I said, I'm, um, I'm the Paradise Valley officer who arrested him. And he stopped and looked, he says, so you're the one that woke me up. 
Nice. He <laughs> so, owes you lunch. That's so what he what does. what a small world. And we ended up talking about it yeah. later. But that yeah. was like the craziest thing that, that wow. happened to me there, which I was like, I don't do traffic. The one time I decided to do traffic. See? Not related you to the traffic been, stop. Like you were on this level, but you could have been on this level. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Again, we have people that like doing traffic. I wasn't a motor for a reason. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, now, I wanted to ride a motorcycle, but I no. hated doing traffic and I hated doing DUI. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Although I will say that, you know, the way I described police work is that I took 911 calls for service because that's what we had to do. Yes. But between the times when I was taking 911 calls, I was out there hunting and mm-hmm. I was stopping cars, ch- talking to people walking down the street. Like I was trying to catch people in the act. You know what I mean? Right. And so I got lucky a lot of times. And I remember one of my buddies, he came up to me and says, man, how are you making all these arrests? Right. And I said... I just, just luck, man. I just, I'll just, I'll see something. I stop them. I talk to them. They have a felony warrant. Boom. They're going to jail. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, sometimes I would just get lucky, but I think like the more of those things that you kind of put in. Yeah, for sure. Then, uh, the luckier you get. You for know? sure. So, but only 18 months, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> You're, I did, uh, I could, yeah, well, yeah. because I would spend most of my shift talking to my friends back East. Because uh, uh, I'm just, I'm and just you're keep, getting paid. I'm keeping still, yeah. and that's what I told myself in the beginning. Because yeah. Paradise Valley paid a decent amount more than what I was getting paid in Georgia. To the point, I was getting paid more than my supervisors back in Georgia. Oh, yeah. And I'm not a supervisor, and they're like, "Hey, they got any openings?" Yeah, <laughs> you right. know, I said. But at first, it was it was cool. Like, yeah, I'm getting paid, you know, good money. But I was bored, and I said, I went through a lot of training at Gwinnett County. To just keep still. Yeah. And so I went to a police um, uh, conference my first September in Arizona, ABLE. It's Arizona Black Law Enforcement yeah. Employees. I went to that conference, and first I was amazed because I was like, oh my goodness, this is where all the black people are. Because <laughs> I did not see us. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've heard of ABLE. I've heard of Noble. I'm a part of Noble, too. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh my goodness. So it was really cool. And a lot of those officers were from other places. Yeah. And um, just keeping in contact with people. And actually, that's where I met Jeff Glover, who's mm. the, he's, um, the director or Colonel Jeff Glover, DPS now. Okay. And he was a sergeant at Tempe. We chatted and he was like, hey, let's keep in touch kind of thing. I was like, cool. I met some other people. And matter of fact, I saw some of them last night at a birthday dinner. Oh, cool. And um, just just good mentorship, bouncing things off. And then me and Glover ran into each other a few more times. And he's like, hey, if you're ever interested, you know, let's talk. So I went and I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see what this is about. And I applied and I got mm-hmm. hired. Um, and I spent 11, almost 11 years at Tempe. How was the pay between Paradise Valley and Tempe? So the funny thing is I was actually looking at Paradise Valley and Tempe before okay. I came out here. It just so happens, you know, I'm young. I'm like, I want the money. Right. Um, Paradise Valley was paying more. Yeah. Five months into me working at Paradise Valley, Tempe raises. <laughs> That's the way it always <laughs> and works. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it was... I mean, I think they were on par with each other yeah. at the time, and you know, and I'm, I'm a so lateral. So it wasn't like you took a pay cut because everybody probably no, no, be no, looking no. at you like what? No, I didn't. I didn't take a pay cut, yeah. but at the same time, you know, if you're looking at off duty, I had more opportunity for off duty because it's a larger, yeah. you know, it's a larger agency, right? So, so when did you lateral to Tempe? I lateraled there in '09. Okay, so I believe like November of of '09. And then, what part of Tempe do you work when you get? Because you didn't have to go through an academy, but did they run you through FTO? 
I, yeah, that's where I told you I, I was on FTO longer at yeah. Tempe than I was at Gwinnett. Yeah. Um, so I started out working in the North Station, okay. um, which is um, on, a, on Apache Boulevard, so the Apache um, substation. That's where I started working. And um, so it was busy up there because the school is up there. Yeah. But we didn't deal with the campus that much because they, they have their, their own, own police, police department. Yeah. You know, it was like the off-campus stuff. And, you know, so you have a lot of transient activity up there. So you have a mix. You have a real mix up there. And yeah. I really didn't like working north other than Mill Avenue, like the main Dragon Mill, yeah. because you can get into a lot of different stuff. But um, it's just too crowded around mm. the school. When school's in and people are walking around and there's bikes and all this other right. stuff like that. And I'm like, eh. So eventually <laughs> I ended up working um, at the Hardy Station, which is um, the South Station. Okay. And um, you said you're there for 11 years. Yeah. Anything, I I don't want to go back through the prompts necessarily, but extraordinary experiences or anything of significance um, that shaped and molded the person that you are today? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So I'll tell you my, my first experience with peer support. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's something that, um, I credit to like, I credit to like who I am now and how I handle officers who've been involved in critical incidents. So, um, so this must have been about seven years ago, maybe. Um, Yeah, because my no, maybe maybe eight years. Mm -hmm. Was my son was a little over a year at the time, and we get dispatched to a shooting call, Mm -hmm. and. I was one of the first officers on scene, and I see fire working a female um, out on the road. And you ever see somebody, and they're working them, and you're like, yeah, that's not it. Right yeah, there. some people have like a color to them or that right. look on their face. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And so um, I I run to where I'm being directed to go, which is to talk to the boyfriend who was the passenger. So mm. basically the story is college student, the one who got shot, the one who's being worked, uh-huh. and her boyfriend are out running errands. And they're sitting at a light. She gets hit from behind. Before she even gets a chance to turn around, take her seatbelt off, open the door, assess damage, a woman is at her window, pumps several bullets right in her window, kills the young lady right there. And so um, what we find out later is that uh, this woman had been spiraling for some time, um, meth, um, other drugs, some mental health stuff, and she just... She decided that was the day to do this. The The student didn't do anything to her. She was an ASU um, student, didn't do anything to her. That's what she decided to do. Yeah. And I'm trying to talk to the boyfriend. Um, these are um, international students uh, from China. I don't speak Mandarin. No. And, you know, you there's... You didn't pick that up in Gwinnett I, County? I, I, I didn't pick that up in Gwinnett County. <laughs> I did, you know. So they... I, I'm... He is speaking to me in broken English. Yeah. So this emotional young man, obviously, been through right. a very traumatic event, and I'm trying to get as much information out of him as I can. We finally found an officer who spoke Mandarin that oh. worked at um, Arizona State uh. PD. He comes over. We're translating back and forth. I mean, the story I, I just gave you, I mean, that's basically what he said. Was we were just trying to go you know, run some errands, and this lady hits us and kills my girlfriend. So... You're in work mode on that call, right? This is terrible, but you're in work mode. And the thing that stuck out to me on that call was the fact that we're standing inside of this restaurant around a phone on speaker 
having to call her father in China mm. and say, hey, you know your beautiful, talented, intelligent daughter that you sent here to get an education? Well, she was just killed in the streets of America for no reason that we can give you, sir. Right. Sorry for your loss. Right. And just the confusion on the boyfriend's face and, you know, just the shock and watching him come out of the shock and just that reality hit him and everything. I was like, that's crazy. But I went on about my business too, you know, because I got to go to other calls. And so a few weeks later, I'm not feeling myself, but I can't put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, you know, have a crappy attitude at work. Um, maybe reports get turned in on time. Maybe they don't. Maybe when you bring it to my attention, maybe I care. Maybe I don't. Yeah. By that time in my career, I knew myself well enough to be like, hey, something's wrong and I need to talk to somebody. So I went to my sergeant and I was like, hey, I know I can be difficult, but this is different and difficult yeah. <laughs> right now. Something's going on and I, I can't really pinpoint it. And I said, my sleeping has sucked. I'm just kind of blah. And uh, the only thing I can attribute it to is this call. Because mm-hmm. I, I can't, it, it, it won't stop running in my head. And I said, the, the thing is about it, and it's crazy that we work in a profession that we can even say this, is I've seen worse. Yes. Why is this the call that's bothering right. me, right? But maybe for me, my life circumstances had changed at that point. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. Right. All I wanted to do was go home and be with my child. And I couldn't imagine being on you know, that call for that dad, right? right. That's is, that is horrible, right? right? Um, when I was working, I either would not or needed extra help to do death notification calls because of how the police department came to my mom's house. My parents weren't together when my mm. dad died, but um, came to my mom's house and like there was no... Easing into it. No compassion. To me, it was very, like, they needed a whole class on that. And I always remember thinking, like, I would never give somebody bad news like that. And so those calls were always difficult for me because of that. And I'm just thinking about that poor father. And we did it a lot better than, you know, that department. But it's just like, like, what do you, what do you do for this man? And he's thousands of miles away. Right. Like, what, what are we supposed to do for him? And so that sergeant actually put me in touch with our peer support. And that was my first experience with peer support. And it was it was it was good. Yeah. And the sergeant was she she pulled me aside, she had a conversation with me, and she says, All this is normal. Everything you're experiencing is normal. I said, Are you serious? Because it doesn't feel normal. Mm-hmm. And she says, No, this is normal. She says, Maybe do this. Why don't you they're having a vigil for this young lady? Uh, Why don't you go go and, and check it out? Pick somebody from your, your shift that you trust. Have them go with you. I don't know if I could do that. And she's like, you know, sometimes we we can heal. We we heal like that, right? Because yeah. I had been avoiding that intersection. I would be late oh, to yeah, calls yeah. because I was like, I refuse to go by there. Yeah. Um. And then uh, the peer, another peer support person I talked to said, go by when you don't have to, like go by the location on your own accord. Yeah. And spend some time there, not when you're on a call or anything like that. And I was like, okay. I tried to do that. That didn't work at that time. I didn't do that until later. <laughs> yeah. But I go to this vigil and it was just so crazy, like how many people were there for somebody they didn't even know, like community members, the school, oh, yeah. you know, um, the international groups at the school. And I thought it was really touching for, yeah. for people to do that for one another. But me and my squad mate that I picked to go out there, 
um, we ended up actually like um, being uh, security because of how many people showed up. Like uh, we're we're like out into traffic, and I remember standing there, and all of a sudden, this wave of emotion came over me, and like my feet just started walking. And so by the time I get to the corner to the back of this um, supervisor's vehicle, um, I'm in like I'm like like can't breathe crying. Yeah. And I remember I, I heard um, a commander come near me, big dude, and he never looked at me. Men don't like to look at women when they cry. And I don't know if it's because it makes y'all angry or because y'all are going to cry. Because I used to Probably. be, the type, I'm like, yeah. don't cry, don't yeah. cry. And uh, he never looked at me. I heard him take a deep breath. And I said, I'm, sir, I'm so sorry. I said, I, I don't even know where that came from. Like, I have no idea where that came from. And he takes another deep breath and he says, well, you're human, aren't you? Right. I was like, huh, very simple words. And he's right. We're humans who wear uniforms. We're not yeah. our uniforms, right? And we should be allowed to express that emotion. Mm-hmm. And so talking to peer support, eventually going by the scene on my own, it helped. Yeah. It really did help. So I don't know if I've ever heard that, but that's, yeah. that's probably really good advice. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I was completely avoiding it to go to calls. Yeah. And so um, that was huge for me right there. And that was kind of a turning point as far as peer support goes. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously the other very significant thing that happened to me at Tempe uh, is being shot three times. <laughs> so then there's that. Yeah. That kind of sticks with you. <laughs> and it seems like I kind of only just because of following your Facebook and yeah. I, I think I knew that you were in a shooting. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. I don't know what the circumstances were. I didn't know. Although I guess I, I assume that you had been shot because you ended up retiring, right? Yeah. I'm, yep. I medically retired yeah. in August of 2020. Now, I mean, to your level of comfort, because I imagine, is that what you're talking about when you're traveling around the U.S. now? Yes. Oh. I, I, I talk about the shooting, but the, the shooting is actually a, a smaller part of my presentation. It's mm-hmm. kind of more about like life before mm-hmm. and then life now. Yeah. Um, because I don't think we talk about that enough. You know, I don't I don't want to be looked at as a hero in that way. Like, man, she got th- shot three times and she's having this. Con- no, no, no. There's a lot that goes into that, yeah. you know, and there's a lot that still goes in. I mean, the shooting happened five years ago, but yeah. it's not just me that was affected. You know, right. my husband, my kids, you know, my extended family, my friends, yeah. you know, there's just boom. You know, it, actually at the birthday dinner I was at last night, my shooting came up. Mm. And how angry people were and how it affected them. So it's just, it's not just you, yeah. you know, when, when you go through that. And, you know, I, I don't like to use the word, it was a routine call, but it's a call that I've been on before. Yeah, It was serving order of protection for mm. domestic violence, mm. you know, um, me and my partner are minding our business on a Monday afternoon, and she had already taken the domestic violence report for the plaintiff, and we were going to go contact the defendant or the the suspect. And we've done this before when one party is not, you know, the person that we need to serve is not letting us into the residence when the other person has rights and standing. Right. They'll let us in. We'll make contact with them. We'll serve them. They'll go about their business. Right. Now, again, you're dealing with the information that you have. Right. So nothing jumped out at us at the time to be like, oh, maybe we should take more people or maybe we should um, we should get a special unit involved to, yeah. to grab this guy up. Um, as I'm sure you you learned during your career, states don't always share information as easily as they should. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. What's done is done. <laughs> um, but um, 
this guy, you know, he was not a nice man. Mm. Um, they had been involved in a relationship for about a year. Um, she had been trying to get rid of him for like six months and it was not working. And, you know, he would do one of those, oh, I'm going to get drunk and then I'm going to beat you and be like, oh, where did you get those bruises from? Mm. Like that, that was his thing. So he thought she went to work that morning. But she went to our headquarters to uh, go follow a report. He was her. not working. He was not working. Of course. Right. And she'd even like bought him a car to get rid of him. Ugh. And he did not go. Hmm. Okay. And um, another officer had tried to serve that order earlier that day. So now he knows she didn't, you know, she right. didn't go to work. And at some point, I think he texted her, you know, he was mad about that. But again, it was nothing like crazy. Yeah. So... I meet my partner. She calls me. She's like, hey, you know, do you want to go serve this order with me? And I'm just like, I mean, I really want to eat my lunch. <laughs> oh my I really want this teriyaki hey, bowl. Priorities, man. But <laughs> I'm a good partner. And I say, yes, I'll come back to the teriyaki bowl. Uh, I didn't get it for like a year after that, but it's fine. Uh, um, avoiding that intersection? No. <laughs> You know what? I just hadn't made it back there until I met somebody for lunch there. And on my way there, I just got this icky feeling. And I keep mm. thinking, why am I feeling like this? And it wasn't until I pulled into almost the same exact parking spot uh. I had pulled into that day. Then I was like, oh, that's why. Uh. It's funny how our brain does that, right? Right. And um, we meet up. You know, we go over the paperwork. Nothing stands out. She'd asked if she had weapon, if there were weapons in the house. She says no, but I mean, we live in Arizona. Right. You know, your dog yeah. could have a gun. This for is all wild I know. west out you know here. What I'm saying? Yeah. So it just everybody has. Yeah, just because somebody says no doesn't mean it's not there. Right. Or like I don't know, a samurai sword. Like anything could be in there, right? Yeah. But you always have it on your mind. So she she unlocks the door and she doesn't go all the way in. My partner went in. I went in behind my partner. My partner was taking her flashlight out, and I was like, it's almost 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's pretty bright. Mm -hmm. Like, why is she taking her flashlight out? Well, as I came into the house, my eyes were adjusting. It was because of how dark the house was. And, you know, I I tell people who don't live in Arizona, like, it's not unusual for houses to be dark because we use blackout curtains a lot of times, right? But I remember it was, like, eerily dark, Mm -hmm. and my partner expressed the same sentiment later when we talked about it. You know, you talk about, like, your spidey sense and the hair on the back of your neck, like, all that. But it was happening too fast for us to communicate to each other. And the girlfriend didn't come all the way in the house, which I thought was weird, because if you've been on calls where, like... Somebody's being put out and it's a relationship. Somebody's always standing front and center. Yeah. Like, I'm going to watch you pack your little bags and get on out my house. But she didn't do that. But Mm. DV, she could be afraid and that's fine. All right. So then I step in the house and I hear my partner talking to somebody because she can see down a hallway. Like, I can't can't see um, down. Um, Because we'd come in through, um, I'll back up a little bit. We had come in through a carport. So it was Mm -hmm. an exterior door, laundry room, interior door. So now we're kind of standing in a kitchen area. Mm -hmm. So my partner can see down a hallway I can't see down. And there's a male, as I step in further and turn my body to see who she's talking to, there's a male coming up the hall and he's dressed in a tank top and shorts, you know, just neutral body language, Mm -hmm. never even said anything to us. My partner said who we were and why we were there. And she made some sort of comment about him taking his hands out of his pockets. And so I I, kind of joke, like, we want people to do as we say, right? But then you have to be prepared for what's on the other end. So Mm -hmm. he took his hands out of his pockets, but he came out with a six-shot revolver and immediately started firing. Oh, geez. And so when the first shot went off, 
I'm my partner standing to my left. She's a little smaller than me, so I'm thinking she got hit in the face, uh-huh. right? But I don't have time to look because you know muscle memory training. So I'm stepping and drawing. Mm-hmm. I'm stepping to the side and drawing. Well, you know, just my luck. You know, I'm right handed. I step to the right. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? And I I feel like I stepped into the bullet, but I got. I got shot in my right forearm, mm. but he's also coming at me. Right. So now I have to make a decision, right? My hand is numb, and I'm like, uh, screw this. So I run out the door. Huh. And but he's right behind me and he shoots again and I get shot in my in my left um upper left arm. And I, I can't remember the exact seat like order of, of shots fired, but at one point he shoots back at the house. I'm assuming to shoot at my partner, uh-huh. but that missed and went in the door jam. My partner returns fire. She hmm. shoots one time and she does strike him. Hmm. Um, but he shoots me a third time and I got hit in uh, the lower left side of my back. My vest caught that one. Oh. But because he was so close, um, it felt like I got kicked by a horse. Yeah. <laughs> and it knocked me off my feet because you get hit in like your right. kidney area and everything. And boom, I fall dead weight, um, re injure. That hip flexor oh <laughs> and groin muscle, right? But wait, there's more. <laughs> right, yeah, because my pepper spray was right there, and I just uh, ugh, just smashed right into it. Uh, um, and I fall to the right. He runs to the left. He had one more bullet left in his gun, and that's what he used to take his life. Uh, and so later I found out my partner was shot in her upper left arm as well. She was still in the house, but at mm-hmm. the time I didn't know that. So, you know, tunnel vision auditory exclusion, like all that stuff is happening. I felt like I was running through water. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, move legs, let's move faster. And then um, as I'm on the ground, you know, my partner says I went down and I popped right back up. And I was like, no, I was down there longer. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no. And it wasn't until I saw the body camera that, yes, I went down, popped right back up and went off running, right? But I said, but I had all these thoughts that went through my head. Mm. Like that's like how how does that work? Like the brain is crazy. Yep, everything slows down and yeah. First, I'm like, oh, I'm paralyzed. I really thought I was paralyzed because uh, I couldn't feel my legs for a hot second. Then I'm like, did I pee on myself? Because if I did, because I had to pee before the call. If I did, I can't feel it. <laughs> and you know, we will come and rescue us. Yes. But I'm going to hear it later. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh you, yeah. You, remember that time you pissed your pants when you yeah. got shot? Ha, ha, ha. You know? Yeah. Then That's I'm like, how we work. Yeah. Uh. Then I'm like, well, where is he? Because I don't want to look over my shoulder and get shot in the face. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, my husband and my two kids popped in my head. My son was four. My daughter was 22 months. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm going home today. Oh, heck and, yeah. And um, police academy. Gwinnett County Police Academy popped in my head, and I told my instructors later when I talked to them after the shooting, I said, you guys were with me that day, because mm-hmm. I can hear them and I can feel them yelling, and like clear as day, mm-hmm. you will stay in the fight. Like I get chills every time I, yeah. I say this, like you will go home today, your family deserves to see you. And I was, you know, I used some inspirational words in that at that point, I said, bitch, get up. Because right. this is not where we die. That's right. If he's going to kill me, he's going to have to work at it. And, you know, me and my mom love watching, like, true crime stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm taking off stuff. There's going to be evidence everywhere. Um, you, you're going to find, you're going to see all of this. And I laugh because I live in the desert. I was able to take cover behind a tree. Yep. A well-established tree. Yeah. 
not a cactus. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I love this. Like a tree. <laughs> she has one arm up and one arm down <laughs> trying to, yeah, representing a saguaro. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Have you ever been in a fight and your radio gets knocked off? Mm. And so now you're trying to grab your mic and everything and it, it keeps bungeeing from you? Right. Well, I finally grab it. I bring my hand up and I'm like, oh, that's crazy because that's, that's tissue. That's white meat. That's, and my arm is like, and I'm like, well, that's broken. Huh. I've never broken a bone before, but that was broken. Right. Um, I can't really hear anything, so I, I, I don't remember my partner asking like me any questions at that point because everything was muffled. Yeah. And uh, to your point earlier about like calming yourself down and not wanting to spin out and get high voiced and everything. Yeah. yeah. So when we did our debrief, and I hear the radio traffic. Now, mind you, I've had surgery and everything. I'm on Percocet, so I told people, please forgive me for whatever comes out of my mouth. And it was no shave November, and I'm seeing all these dudes I work with I've never looked twice at. They had facial hair. And I was like, mm, okay. Oh, my <laughs> And so I just told them, like, excuse anything. We're listening. And I said, that's correct. Who is that? Who is that on the radio with that high-pitched voice? They said, you. I said, no. I got to deep. I, my voice is a little lower. That's not me. Because uh, I always planned if I was ever involved in a critical incident. Yeah. I'm saying this. I might just say something crazy. Just like I said, I was under duress. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I'm like Mariah Carey status on yes. the radio, right? I like to say that you're screaming in a pitch that only dogs can exactly. hear. Exactly. <laughs> I said, that's crazy. My partner was cool, calm, collective. And I said, I sound like uh, a maniac. And so... I'm thinking she has she's run after the suspect. So I'm like, well, she's a badass, so I need to be with her. Yeah. Training. Put my hurt arm to my chest. I reach across with my support hand. We're going to go at it left-handed. We're just going to bang it out left-handed, okay. right? Reach across, no gun. Mm. So I'm like, well, that's a Exactly. I'm like, that's a problem. So now I'm trying to decide, come out from cover, go back in the house. That's where I dropped it. And I do this little dance back and forth. And I always wish my body camera had stayed on because when I hit the ground, it fell off. Of course. And I, well, because I didn't use like the real strong rectangular um, magnet mm-hmm. because I didn't wear an outer vest. Uh-huh. You know, I just used the X one because yeah. I said that, um, I feel like the really strong one, the rectangular one, it might pull the iron in my blood. That thing was hard to get apart. Oh, my gosh. You know, and it, as as a sergeant and then as a commander, I had to live vicariously through my cops and the cool things that they did because mm. I wasn't doing anything fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And it never failed. As soon as they go hands-on, yeah, there yeah. goes the body-worn camera. I'm like, what good is this resource if yeah. it doesn't even stay on to do well, what it's supposed to do? Well, if you use that rectangle one, because huh. my husband's not a small man at huh. all, and it took him a minute to get that, that oh, wow. magnet apart. Wow. So it falls off. But I wish, because you'd see me do this dance. <laughs> tree, house. Tree, house. Right. But what, if I had looked down, I had such tunnel vision. If I looked down a few inches, my gun was right there in the dirt. Didn't yeah. know that. So what broke me out of that, you know, this little dance is hearing sirens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first siren, you can hear it on my body camera that's in the dirt in under two minutes mm-hmm. from my partner putting it out on the radio, which is fast. Yeah, right? yeah. And, you know, uh, we were very uh, lucky because of the time of day. Um, it was a double squad day, and it was, it was at the end of their shift. Uh, and um, the location, we were off of a main road that was patrolled um, heavily, and we were the house was in between that main road and one of our substations, where we have special units, people uh, taking breaks, writing reports. So people got to us 
so quickly. Yeah. And the first officer, I'd run across the street um, and sat on this hill. There's a park across the street. And <laughs> I, you know, I was like, I can't take two shot arms into what I know to be a gunfight. So yeah. I, I have to tap out at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And the first officer that got to me, he's trying to do, like, he's trying to check me, but I needed him to feel what I was feeling, which was shock at that point, because yeah. when I see the other officer's body camera, like even when I watch it now, I don't look or sound like myself. Even yeah. five years, like I was like, I don't even know who that person is. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And I, I remember telling him, I was like, he took out a gun and fucking shot me, dude. And he's like, yeah, and he's trying to check me, but I'm looking him in the eye. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, we need yeah, to be yeah. pupil to pupil. Like, do you hear me? Like, he shot uh, me, but he's trying to check sounds me. Sounds like two drunk people at a bar. No. Right. I love you, no. man. I love you, man. You don't understand. You don't get it. Yeah. So he sees this. Uh, I think I have a gaping hole in my back because of how painful it was. Yeah. And um, he's like, no, you, you're fine. And I was like, no, no, no. There's a hole here. And I keep putting my hand there and I keep expecting to see blood, but there's nothing. Mm. And we didn't even see this one until the second officer arrived. Uh. And he starts checking everything and he lifts it up. And I didn't even feel the through and through on my left arm because I was a little heavier then. And I tell people, I call it my mama insulation, uh, you know, so I'm not going to call it fat <laughs> and I'm not going to yell at my kids, but they helped me out that day. <laughs> um, and I didn't break any bones or anything, but they throw tourniquets on me. And I'm just like, and I remember saying at one point, I want to go home. <laughs> I said, I tap out today. And I was like, my mom's going to freak out. Because <laughs> I just got off the phone with her uh, Before the call And I was like My mom's going to freak see, out See if you hadn't been talking to her on the phone You could have gone pee first <laughs> Well She was actually checking on me uh, Because of an issue I had had About a week and a half prior Where an officer at my first apartment Back in Georgia Had been shot and killed oh. In the line of duty I didn't know him But he was well loved Within the department Within the community Three year veteran Had uh, just um, Had just um Celebrated his 30th birthday Mm. Three days before he died Always wanted to be a cop Mm. He was that person Mm. And I just I fell into it Right So I'm fielding calls I'm fielding calls All this time And not realizing The toll it's taking on me Because I'm not with my people So I want to try to be there For them as much as I can Right I watched all the media coverage I watched the funeral procession Like I call it like Virtual cutting You know Is what I was doing So Um I watched the funeral. I listened to the last call. Like I did it all. Mm. Well, I'm going, I'm going to work on Saturday, which was my Monday. And my mom watched my kids at the time. And she called me about something. And I don't even know what it was. But to me, it was insignificant. And we're kind of bantering <laughs> about it. But I like there's something like bubbling inside of me that I can't quite put my finger on it. And we, you know, we get off the phone. I didn't even react to her the way I normally do because we'll go at it sometimes as we have similar personalities. And I just got off the phone and I remember like taking my cell phone and squeezing it and like slamming it on the floorboard. And, you know, I'm like having a hissy fit in the car at this point. Like I'm like I'm punching the steering wheel. Like I'm like I'm like raging out, right? Anybody that drove past me was like, she is having a psychotic <laughs> episode. Yeah, Somebody right? needs to call DPS. <laughs> yeah, right. Um uh... and then even though my mom unknowingly upset me, and it wasn't her fault, it yeah. was me. I I'm scrambling around on the floorboard, don't knock me for this DPS, trying to reach for my phone. And um she was the first person I called, right? Mm-hmm. So she's like, you need to come home. And I was like, eh, I'm almost to work. Like, just let me chill out for a minute. 
So I didn't even go into the gates of the station. Hmm. Um, my sergeant wasn't there. He was at a training. I called another sergeant who I trusted yeah. and I felt very comfortable with. I cried all over him for like 30 minutes outside of the gates of the station <laughs> about how fair it wasn't. I said, this is all he's wanted to do and he doesn't right. get a second chance. I said, we know criminals who get shot 15 times and then they're walking out of the hospital Cockroaches. two days later. Cockroaches, like, these people. Like how? Like how yeah. is that a thing? And so... I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I don't understand. And he says, you know what, you need to go home and spend time with your family. So my husband works in retail and he was working nights at the time. So he was asleep. Mm. And by the time I get home, my mom had woken my husband up and everything. And so she's, you know, you want to talk about it? I was like, not right now. Like I'm all cried out at this point. Let's go get some breakfast. So we go get something to eat. Um, They were doing a fundraiser with the 100 Club. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, cool, I love the 100 Club. I like donating. We'll buy this meal. We had a good day. Sunday, didn't feel well enough to go to work mentally. Mm -hmm. I definitely learned over the years that we go to work when we shouldn't. Yeah. Mentally and physically, we've all done it. I've done it. We don't have anything to prove to anybody. If you're not 100%, don't walk through those doors. Yeah. Because that could be the difference between life or death, a career-ending yeah. injury, a lot of different things. That sick things. time isn't always about a scratchy throat for us. That's well, for sure. Well, and I, when people brag about sick time, having all this sick time piled up and nothing against my mail officers, <laughs> but it's generally y'all that are bragging about it. And I was like, listen, I had two kids. I don't have any six. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, I have this much saved up because you're going to get this much when you retire. And you know what I tell people now? Hope you make it to retirement. Right. Hope you make it there to get that check. Right. You know, to get those hours you saved up coming to work when you shouldn't have doing all this permanent damage to your body. Yeah. When you should have been resting. They give it to you for a reason. Right. Use it. Yeah. Anyway, um, Sunday, you know. Didn't go to work. The sergeant was like, hey, take your time. You know, you come to work when, you, when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Monday, get up. Cool. I think I'm ready to, to, to go to work today. A friend of mine was on light duty because she was pregnant. She saw me in the hallway and I would always check in on her. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you've ever been on light duty, um, you get lost yeah. in the department somewhere. You're pulled out of your squad, out of your normal duties, mm-hmm. and people seem to think you're stupid because you're on light duty. And like when I was pregnant, I had rookies talking real reckless to me. Ooh. Well, why can't you go? Do you see I'm growing a person? I can't go contact a suspect. You're, you're here 10 hours. Like, yeah. What was the problem? Right. Yeah. So I would always make an effort to check in on people who are light duty, even if you were um, riding a desk due to administrative reasons. Mm. I don't have to ask you about what happened, but I can always ask you how you're doing. Yeah. Because we isolate. Right. Yeah. yeah. And. She noticed I hadn't been at work for a couple of days. And she says, hey, like, you haven't been here in a couple of days. Like, what's going on? And then she paused. Mm -hmm. Silence is weird, right? And you're like, no, I just made it back to work. Don't do this to me. But I'm used to being that person, though. And I'm like, oh, I don't. I don't want to be the patient, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. then she leaned up against the wall. So I'm like, oh, like she, her body language is really telling me she wants to know. I unloaded on her what I'd only told that sergeant and what my family knew. Yeah. How it wasn't fair. I was angry. I didn't understand. Like, this this is not right. He's so young. He was well-liked. And I said, I, I think I jinxed myself. I said, I fell in the law enforcement. I said, I have been dodging the proverbial bullet for 15 years at that mm. point. And then, um, what, that was before I went out on shift, so... About eight-ish in the morning, mm-hmm. and then about six and a half hours later, she hears me get shot on the radio. <laughs> Good grief. Right. Mm. But I honestly, between 
my family checking in on me, and then that conversation with her, I honestly think those conversations saved my life. Yeah. Because before I went out on the road that day, I was able to offload mm. all of that emotion and get out of my head. Yeah. Now, my mom called to check in on me, you know, how are you doing? Da, da, da. As I'm pulling up down the street, I say, all right, Ma, I got to go because we just pulled up to this call. And then unfortunately, like maybe, I don't know, 30 minutes later, <laughs> my brother's having to call her and say, hey, uh... <laughs> Lindsay's okay, but she just got shot, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, and, and it's just, it's a surreal moment being in the back of a car, being whisked off somewhere. Again, I'm thinking it's like the movies. Oh, cool. They're going to take me directly to the hospital, but don't take me to the closest hospital because that's not a trauma hospital. Yeah, we know which hospital to go right, to. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, then we go into the staging area and in my mind, I'm like, why are we getting burritos? I don't want I don't want to go to Saboros right now cuz that's what was there but my mind is still on food, right? It was the staging area and I'm like I just want, this hurts. Yeah. And I what I learned when I'm in Especially pain. Especially if they put a tourniquet on like get me to the hospital. Oh, yeah, I had a tourniquet here and I had one yeah. here. Yeah. And the, we were trained with tourniquets and everything. My partner used hers. You know I never once thought about my tourniquet. And when I when I watch her body camera, she's putting hers on. I was like, Lindsay, you idiot. Like it was right there in your but that was like the last thing I was yeah. thinking about, right? Yeah. I'm in the back of the car, I'm cursing, I'm bleeding, I'm apologizing, I'm sweating, I'm cursing a cycle. So I've learned when I'm in pain, because this is apparently what I did when I was in labor, also, mm. is I curse, sweat, and apologize. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's a vicious cycle. And so my 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 you know, my um my shift mate is like, you're fine. You know, he's a military guy. And he's mm. like, you're fine. Duh, duh, duh. And I'm like, I was like, my mom's going to make me quit my job, dude. Like, <laughs> this is what keeps coming up, right? Oh I keep going back to this. So right as I feel like I'm about to pass out because of the pain, uh-huh. um, the ambulance pulls up. But I didn't want to leave because I, didn't, I hadn't seen my partner yet. Oh, yeah. Then she arrives in the back of an SUV uh, driven by a sergeant. She gets out. We lock eyes. Okay, you cool. I'm cool. All right, y'all can take me. Mm-hmm. Fire's great. I know we give them. I know we give them trash second, sometimes. Hashtag but, second responders. <laughs> but it's got to be difficult to work side by side with somebody, and then you show up on a call, and then they're the patient. Yeah. Because I saw, I saw the look. Um, I saw the look on um, the captain's face. When he came around the corner. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, but then he jumped into work mode. Right. Throw me in the back of the ambulance. Um, They're ripping stuff off and, you know, cutting and doing what they do. Right. And I told them, I said, well, I need to call my husband. And they're like, well, we'll do it when we get to the hospital. I was like, nah, this is going to hit the news. And I cannot have somebody show up. Yeah. At my house, right. my mom's house, my bro- like that can't happen. Yeah. So I ended up getting in touch with my husband. It's weird because... Like, what do you say? Like, how do you make that sound believable? Like, that's what I was thinking as yeah. the phone was ringing. And so... I'm fine. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> no like, seriously. So, and then, yeah. and then also say it in a way so that they aren't getting really amped up. Right. My husband wakes up, because I had to call him twice. He wakes up. I told him to sit up, put your feet on the floor. Like, I need you awake. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm okay, but, you know, the famous line, mm-hmm. I just got shot three times. And I need you to get to the hospital. So it's like there's silence. And I said, did you hear what I said? He <laughs> says, yes. And I said, okay, I need pain meds. So I will see you at the hospital. Get off the phone with him. I end up calling my brother. My brother's in real estate, so he always answers his phone, uh, right? 
His first question to me after I make the statement mm-hmm. is, who shot you? Does it matter? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. why are you asking me this? So then his next question was, did you call your mother? We have the same mother. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. Uh, I'm pulling rank because I'm the oldest. You're going to deliver that news because I cannot. Right. Yeah. So my mom gives me stuff about it even to this day that <laughs> I did not call her. Um uh. But I really needed pain meds. We get to the hospital. Um, great care at the hospital. I don't have any complaints about that. A lot of support. A lot of people, even from other agencies, yeah. were there. Um, our chief at the time, uh, Sylvia Moyer, she was in like the triage room as they're snatching stuff off of me and everything. Mm. And they're waiting on my family to get there. And then I get pain meds, so I'm feeling loosey-goosey. So I'm good at this point. Mm. And... My brother gets there, my husband gets there, and I keep looking at my brother. I said, where is your mother? Like, you know, I know he dropped her off first. Like, you know, mom's had knee replacements. I'm like, okay, well, maybe she's taking a little bit of time getting in here. Then she gets wheeled in in a wheelchair. So I'm like, okay, (laughs) but that's fine. You know, it's a lot. And I looked at her at one point. I said, where have you been? (laughs) Kind of thing. And she was like, I passed out. I said, what do you mean you passed out? She said she came through the door of the hospital. And it's like a scene from a movie. You see all these uniforms. But they took my husband, Jason, right in, mm-hmm. and then they kind of like, well, you can't go in. And my mother's like, oh, that's my child. What do you mean I can't go in? Yeah. So then, you know, the gangster and my mother came out, and then she decides to, you know, uh, impact push a commander. <laughs> it was like, you're not going to tell me yeah. I can't do this. And then she passes out and bonks her head. And I was like... All right. So, you know, this, and this is what I'm saying. Like, this is a rippling effect. Just doesn't affect the yeah. people involved. Yeah. My, you know, my mom is affected. My my two brothers are affected. Right. You know, just any family, anybody who knows us yeah. is affected by this. And so I stayed in the hospital for three days, hmm. and um, I ended up getting some hardware in my right arm. Uh-huh. I had, like, two surgeries while I was there. And tons of visitors. I even had a guy from my old department in Gwinnett who was actually uh, working down here at one point, but he was doing uh, DRE training in Phoenix. Uh. I'm thinking the drugs are so good, I'm hallucinating. (laughs) And he's standing in my doorway, and I'm looking like, he's not here. Like, I know I miss my people in Georgia, but this is crazy. (laughs) And uh, he looks at me and says, you know, all you had to do is call and tell me to come visit. You didn't have to get shot to do that. That sounds like something a cop would say. Right. And then I had another, uh, one of our gang guys come in as I was getting checked out. And um, he says, dang, girl, when you going to do that? When you going to do that feature with 50 Cent? You got uh, shot three times. And I was like, I don't need this. My it's mother, not all it's cracked up to be. My, yeah. I said, my mother's already saying, you know what your new nickname is? Trey Shots. <laughs> She said that could be your... Oh, man. <laughs> and I said, so, you know, so, you know, we make light of things, right? That's yeah. that's how we handle things. And That's true. But the thing is, now you have to go home and you kind of have to be normal. And again, right. great support. Like, we didn't lift a finger for a f- the first few weeks we were home. Yeah. My neighbors, uh, my friends and everything like that. And, you know, parents, my, my mom and my mother-in-law coming over, helping with the kids and, you know, laundry, like everything. I had friends fly out. Just to vacuum my floors and pick my kids up That's from cool. from school and stuff, yeah. and um, but also you have your kids, and I think again we do a poor job in law enforcement of sharing our world with our kids, 
It's not always about the heroics. We see a lot of things that we can't forget and sometimes that we shouldn't see, but we hide that from our kids. And many officers go their whole career and their kids don't know nearly the amount of critical incidents they've been involved in. And we do our kids a disservice because our kids don't understand how crabby, why we're crabby, why we view the world the way we view it, why we won't let them go certain places. And then you retire, and then they find out, what, you were in three shootings? What? Yeah. I I jokingly say that the reason why I decided to start keeping that journal is because at the time, my son was two and my daughter was a newborn. Mm. And I was like, you know, at some point, they're going to want to know why I was a helicopter parent Mm -hmm. and why I was such a jerk their whole lives. Mm. So... When something happens that even I think is extraordinary, because I mean, we would go to stuff that you and I would think was like, oh yeah, this happens every day. But somebody who's not a cop, like, oh my gosh, right? You know, and you're just like, ah, wait, wait five minutes, we'll be on another one, you know. <laughs> right. And so if I felt like it was extraordinary, I'd go home, I'd write it down, and I thought at some point I'd just hit Control Print, mm-hmm. and when they were both eighteen, they could both have a copy, and then they could get an understanding of mm. why I was the dad that they grew up with, yeah. And then, you know, having people encourage me, like, dude, this is really cool. You should think about doing something bigger with Mm -hmm. it. And then I ended up going through Amazon and publishing, whatever. But it was exactly all of those things. Like, my babies are too small. I can't explain to them that I showed up to a rollover and there was uh, an undocumented immigrant that was on the ground and his arms hanging off. I can't, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell a child that, right. you know, it's irresponsible at that point. And, and we have know. to learn how to tell them, but at the same time, they will figure it out. Oh yeah. Because my four-year-old, um, even when he came to see me in the hospital, we just said, well, mommy broke her arm fighting a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Not completely, un- you know, it's not a lie. Yeah. So He's looking, I got like a wound vac and he sees the blood in the tube. He's like, are you going to die? And I was like, no, why are you so dramatic? And he was like, well, this must be a vampire hospital because they're stealing blood. He's four. Yeah. Like this is how his brain works. Right. My 22 month old, she didn't care about any of that. Right. I was still nursing her. She just uh, know mommy hadn't been home for a day and a half. Mm-hmm. And she walked in with lip balm and said, boob, <laughs> whip it out. What are we doing? So, let's go. Let's go. But that's all she was concerned with. And so, uh, it was just funny to have those different perspectives from them. Well, my son was changing my bandages on my through and through because it didn't look nearly as gross. It was more bruised than anything. So, he looks at it and he says, he thinks, and he says, hmm, are you sure the bad guy didn't just shoot you? And my jaw dropped. Like, I didn't expect that. And so, I was like, well, I fell on a stick. Because, you know, I fear he's he's four. He's stupid. I can lie to him, right? right. No. And he's like, like an arrow? I was like, sure. This is Arizona. We're in the Wild yeah. West. Sure. So then he leaves. He goes on because I've answered his question. Kids yeah. that young. And that bothered me. I talked to my therapist about it. She says, just sit him down and tell him. Yeah. You know, because he's going to find out. Just answer the questions that he asked you. I did that. Uh, his response to me was me and my husband sat him down one morning and his response to me was, duh, I told you you got shot from a four-year-old. Okay. This is my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, do you have any questions? He's like, well, why did you lie to me? I was like, this is a really adult conversation I've had with a four-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And so we we talked about it. But as time goes on, they understand the world differently. So their questions get more detailed. Yeah. And so I have to be prepared for that. And then... The thing I wasn't prepared for was the anxiety he was dealing with at preschool. 
And his mm. teacher brought it to my attention. I didn't notice it because I'm wrapped up in my own stuff. Right. I feel like a crap parent because I didn't notice this in my child. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, his teacher, his teacher says, "Hey, buddy, what's going on with you?" <clears throat> and he's like, "Well, my stomach hurts when I think about my mom." So now this starts to affect my son at school, right? Right. So his teacher pulls him aside one day and it was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And I said, "Well." You know, what were you seeing? And he's very helpful, mm-hmm. very intuitive. He says he's just not his normal self. He's not as engaging. He's been sneaking your uniform shirts to school uh, and um, wearing them and then falling asleep at weird times in the classroom and weird places. And he's not eating. I said, not eating. Mm-hmm. Now, my son likes to eat. Mm-hmm. So then he says, well, buddy, she says, you know, do you want to talk about it? And they knew what was going on. Oh, uh, yeah. And he says, well, my stomach hurts when I think about my mom. Mm -hmm. And so that was hard to hear because, you know, I grew him in my stomach. I'm his safe place, right? And a stranger who is not here to take accountability for his actions and has caused all this chaos isn't even here and will never meet my child has has shattered his safety bubble, right? When it pertains to him and, and me. And that was rough, and that's when I got pissed about the shooting. I wasn't even mad about it <clears throat> at that time. I'm like, hmm, you've involved my child. Yeah. Now we're having a problem. Yeah. You know? All, right. All right. So now my kid's involved, <clears throat> and that makes me mad. But what I learned is you can't, you can't let the anger consume you, right? Yeah. Because then you're not going to heal properly. <clears throat> and you're going to miss other things that are going on with you, right? And this guy has a fa- had a family. You know, his parents actually reached out to me and my partner and wished wow. us well and everything. So it's just one of those things of where, like, I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of my kids, <clears throat> and I can't stay in this place, yeah. right? You wallow in it for a minute, but then we have to we have to get up and we have to move on. I like that mindset because not a lot of people have that. Well, but it takes time and it takes you to have the right community around you too, right? Yeah. So I, <clears throat> that's why I ask people, like, who's your village? They say it takes a village to raise a child, but we need the village as adults probably more than kids do yeah. because we feel like, oh, psh, <clears throat> I can take care of this. I go out and I help people with their problems all day long. I can solve my own. No. Yeah. We're not put on this earth to be solitary beings, right? right? You have to get out of your head. The worst thing we can do is hold it in because then it turns into health problems. Yep. And when you hear your issues outside of your head, you can hear it differently and you can bounce it off of somebody that may interpret your feelings and your words differently, right? Yeah. And help you talk through it. So what I discovered along the way is... <clears throat> We do a lot of training in law enforcement, right? We do a lot of muscle memory, um, like movements, a lot of uh, physical training to where, you know, if something happens, boom. Just like when the shooting started, I, I, I was drawing and stepping to the, to the side, right? Right. Throwing my um, arm across my chest and reaching over with my support hand. But we don't do enough muscle memory for the emotional side of it. We talk about what could happen. We talk about what we're going to encounter. But then after that, what? When you're quiet, when you're by yourself, you can get a whole bunch of attaboys, but that only lasts for so long. Pats on the backs and all that stuff. It feels good in the moment. 
Right. But when it's dark and you're by yourself and those images are coming back or those feelings become overwhelming, we don't have anywhere to put that a lot of times. And then we're ashamed to have those conversations. And so for me, I wasn't ashamed because I already had a good support system. I have people in my life who look out for me. The year before, when I had my daughter in 2017, I got diagnosed with postpartum depression. Oh, yeah. But I didn't get diagnosed. Like It was like 11 months after I had her before Mm -hmm. I got diagnosed. I have people in my life who watch me, Mm -hmm. right? My mom noticed something was off. She has a conversation with my husband. You know, he is like, "Eh, well, now that you mention it, yeah. So... He came to, he was the one that came to talk to me about it. And, you know, if you let him tell it, he was like, it's very unnerving to have to go to your tactically trained wife (laughs) and tell her something's wrong with you. (laughs) But I was receptive. I wasn't, I didn't bite his head off. I do talk to people where they're like, I can't have that conversation with her because it's going to cause an argument. But I was receptive because I was like, oh my goodness, y'all see what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And went to the doctor, you know, my doctor was very instrumental in, creating a care plan that not just involved my husband, but involved my mom and my mother-in-law and just people around me. Yeah. And I ended up having to get on medication for the um, depression. And I tell, uh, when I speak, I tell people, if you're considering getting on medication, do it. Yeah. Because that could be the difference between life and death. It could be the difference between saving your marriage or other relationships around you. And what do you have to lose? Right. Why, why do you want to continue feeling like this? And if we have physical things that go on with us, we'll take medication for that with no problem. Yep. And you'll tell people. Yep. But when it comes to our our trauma, the things that we see that we no human should really see, mm-hmm. we hide that. But the person next to you is experiencing the same thing. Yeah. We may show it differently. And so <clears throat> I was already seeing a therapist mm-hmm. by the time my shooting happened. So I didn't have to establish a relationship with therapy yeah. or be com- get comfortable with talking to a stranger about what's going on with me. I, I, you know, I would like to say after trauma isn't the time to seek mental health help. Seek it. Yeah. But we, because of the nature of our job, we should be doing that anyway. Yeah. You know, we take care of our cars better than we take care of ourselves. You know, a lot of people, you could probably tell me the last time your car went to the shop and what diagnostics were run before you could tell me was the last time you've been at a doctor. Yeah. And we have insurance. Yeah. You know, or your our departments. You'll get a million emails about getting your car in for its its uh preventative maintenance over some oil. Right. But you won't email that same officer or approach that same officer or deputy repeatedly about a bad call they were on mm-hmm. and say, hey, why don't you chill today? Let's let's go have some downtime. Come in, pop your vest, get some water. You, you've had a heavy load today. Mm-hmm. So you care more about the equipment than you do the person that's driving it. Right. I don't like that. Yeah. You know? And so... We have to get better about taking care of ourselves, not waiting for our departments to implement things. Mm-hmm. If your department's not providing it, please go outside of it. Yeah. We have plenty of organizations that can help you with... And a lot of cops <clears throat> will say that. like They would rather go outside than go to the dock yeah. on the department because for fear that it'll show up in a, in a part of their jacket. You know what I mean? And 
And that doesn't, unless, you know, you're dealing with some shady people, that should never happen because right. of con- confidentiality. Right. And the fact is a lot of officers think that if they're contracted with the department, they're going to go back and tell their business. They, they, they're not, you know, they just yeah. want to know if you're fit for duty or not. Right. What we talk about, that's between us, especially right. if it's job related, yeah. you know, fit for duty stuff. But I think we have to do better at sharing that type of information and yeah. letting officers know they won't lose their jobs if they're dealing with things physically or mentally that they've experienced on the job. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think our admin has to be better about our command has to be better about sharing the things that they've been through. You can't be a chief or a sheriff or a director and push these great mental health programs, but you've never used them yourself, or right. you're not telling your troops the things you've experienced throughout your career. Yep. How you almost lost your marriage over a position that you were in, yeah. um, or why you've been married so many times, or yeah. the health issues that you have. Like, yeah. you, you're not this superhero that's impenetrable because yeah. even superheroes have origin stories and they're generally bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So one of the things that I, I kind of equate that to is mm-hmm. that when we first started having dash cams and then body cams, I couldn't convince my cops that the footage was only there solely to be used against them and not there to protect them and prevent someone from making mm-hmm. a false allegation. So therefore, a, a brand new <clears throat> car sat in the back parking lot and never got driven because it had a dash cam. It was before body cams. Right. And then I say the same thing about like counseling. So we had like a bunch, we had a bunch of stuff go on with my daughter when she was in junior high. And so we got plugged in. And then when I went into internal affairs, I had a boss who's now the chief of police who basically said, I'm ordering you to go. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't care what you talk about while you're there, but you will go quarterly and I will find out that you kept the appointment. And because that job was such a grinder, mm-hmm. it was so stressful. It was subject matter, public hates you, cops don't trust you. I mean, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> what I liked about it is in the same sense that I could say, you know what, dude, I've seen 9.9 times out of 10, the body worn camera video and the dash cam video saves an officer from a false allegation. Mm-hmm. And due to that, you know, and because I've been over here to the counselor and I've talked to her and she's legit and she's super good. If you think that you might need it, go. As a matter of fact, you know what? I'm ordering you to go. I'm going to call her right now. I'm going to send her an email and she's going to let me know that you kept the appointment. She's not going to tell me what you guys talked about, but you're going to go. And I would highly recommend it. And sometimes I would even order it Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I saw that somebody was struggling and refused to go. And I mean, that's accountability, Yeah, you know, and also you sharing that makes it okay for them because our supervisors, I I said, I liken it to a parent child relationships. Our children mimic what, what we do and say, there's nothing like your child saying something you've said and you're like, Mm. that sounds ugly. Or (laughs) I tell people, if you want to know how the people in your house view you, my kids started playing this game all on their own um, like two years ago, and we still play it now. <clears throat> we have to switch seats at the table, and you have to act like that person. Oh, wow. You can't get uh, mad. No hurt feelings. Yeah, That's yeah. our rule. <laughs> and you're like, is that what I sound like? Is that uh, is that how our kids view us? But I mean, but you're leading by example also, yeah. and you're saying, okay, like, 
This is what I've done. And you're reporting back on your experience by using that resource because yeah. we're skeptical. Yep. I don't want to go talk to anybody, but I was already talking to a therapist. Yeah. Matter of fact, I got released from the hospital on a Wednesday. I already had a standing appointment on Thursday. Hmm. And she was like, do you want to reschedule after I told her what happened? I was like, no, I probably need to come. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, I, you know, I just... I want us to like be your own best advocate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you may not know what you need, but you know, it's not working for you. Yeah. Right. And if your department isn't, or your agency isn't offering a resource that you need, either tell them, always tell them yeah, or go outside of it and look for, even when it comes to training, don't, well, I couldn't go to this training and they didn't pick me. Okay. So go find it somewhere else. Even if you have to pay for it, if it right. means that much to you, right. you will seek it out. <clears throat> don't wait for somebody to drop it in your lap. Yeah. And like my grandfather used to always say, you know, a closed mouth, don't get fed. We're not mind readers. Yeah. If you don't tell the person that can affect change what's going on and what's not working for you, how are they supposed to know? Yeah. A chief or a sheriff or a director, they have so many yes. things that, to be responsible for and something all the way down here at one of their stations or outposts, how are they supposed to know? Right. You would like to think that the people you've promoted would have their finger on the pulse and would let you know that there was something. But yeah, there's so many things going on. And they don't always just because yeah. of the nature of the job. And some people have their own egos and agendas. Right. There's just a lot that happens, but say something. That's how I was raised. Yeah. Say something. You know, if it doesn't happen, you heard me. <laughs> and if something comes of it, you heard me. Yeah. Because I, it don't say nobody told you because I told you. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, now that it, it, it definitely is a change being medically retired because yeah. I've had the time to slow down and think about stuff. I mm. still have my days. I still have my issues that I deal with and things like that. But it's an ongoing process. Yeah. You know, there's no date on healing. You just have to keep moving forward. Right. Um, and... Even being medically retired is different than a straight retirement because someone else made a decision that changed. Yeah, you didn't get to walk out on your own, right? On your own terms, exactly. But we all go through that same transitional piece too. I I was doing a peer support deployment. I think it was like the spring after my retirement, and I had to fill out the credential paperwork as a civilian, and I was like, Uh, "Yeah, that feels dirty." And then, (laughs) and then a week after that, Uh I got my retirement badge in the mail, and I was talking to my mom and. She's like, this is really bothering you. She just said it out of the blue. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? She said, this whole retirement thing, like you not being a cop anymore. And I was like, normally I would have given her some pushback. But I was like, it is. And yeah. I didn't think it was going to bother me that much because when people talk about the identity, yes. I wasn't one of those people that was into my job when I wasn't there. Yeah. When I was off, I was off. Most people didn't even know what I did for a living. Yeah, I tried to be that way, but I think Kevin Gilmartin said it best. He says, when you say... You know, what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. Oh, I work over here. I work for this person. I work for that. If you ask a cop, what do you do for a living? I am a cop. Mm-hmm. And so it does. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. fortunately, however you want to look at it, it becomes part of our identity. Yeah. It becomes part of who we are. And that's and, what you did for a certain length of time, right? Yeah. And people forget that part. So it's not like identifying in a way of like, you can't let it go. It's It was a part of your everyday fabric, yep. and now you're not going into the station or the precinct. You're not with those same people, whether right. you like them or not. And that's why, even when you're on the job, and especially after, that's why community is so important. Yeah. Um, belong to something. Yep. You know, I started going to church, back to church last year, 
And, you know, I hadn't been to church in like ages. <laughs> but I told my husband, I think the reason why I like going so much is the sense of community that yep. I have. I yep. get to see the same people every week, catch up with them, see what's going on, because I'm not going to the station. Yep. I'm still a part of the peer support team, but it's not, I don't, you know, I'm I'm not going in every single day, yeah. you know. So my, my advice to people is, you know, ride the waves as they come. Don't try to fight it. Talk to other people. Yeah. You know, just just talk to other people because we're all going through the same thing in some sort of right. way. And we have tons of resources out here to help us that we didn't have, like when me and you first started. Yeah. You yeah. know? And yeah. I want people to keep their marriages together. I want them to have healthy relationships with their significant others. Um, I want them to leave the job on a good note. I don't right. want them to get fired or quit under suspicious circumstances yeah. or or go away bitter and angry and that's all what I was about nonsense. to say yeah. I, I don't want that like I want us to be good and to be proud about this job is it hard yes it is hard yeah you know but it's very fulfilling and when it's gone it's gone you know yeah. I miss being in uniform I, I can admit that yeah. you know but I have a new lease on life. I'm doing things different. I get to spend time with my kids that's extracurricular awesome. activities I volunteer all this stuff and now, you know, I'm traveling, doing the public speaking thing and, yeah. and, and reaching out and telling my story and getting some therapy as well when I'm on stage and then having yeah. great side conversations when I get off stage. Right. I've, I've said it over and over and over and over. It's like a broken track. But essentially, I don't miss any of the shenanigans that go along <laughs> with police work, you know, mm-hmm. the political, the all that nonsense. I only miss the people. And this right here helps with that part yes. of it. Helps me keep that community. So, um, so it's I feel I feel very kind of selfish sometimes in the fact that I do this. And so when I when I talk to people and I try and invite them on, I try and explain to them this is yours. This mm-hmm. is your episode. This is and and Gil Martin said it, and I've said it before. It's a legacy project. Right. Essentially, our loved ones are going to want to know what made us who we were, who mm-hmm. they grew up with, what we did in our most productive adult life years. Right. And um, we could write it down. I mean, I did. And a lot of people have given me great feedback that they really love the book. Mm-hmm. But I, there's definitely something to be said for someone being able to just click a button on their phone mm-hmm. and hear you in your voice mm-hmm. talk about your career. And that's what I love about it. Because at some point, maybe your kids are still too young, but at some point... Maybe they'll listen to this and they're like, oh, you know, yeah. and they'll yeah. <laughs> they get to hear mom talk yeah. about her career. No, and I, and and I, so, I enjoy it for all those reasons too. Yeah. It is therapeutic. And I tell people yeah. when I speak, it's funny you said that, I feel it's very selfish of me because I do it just as much for me as I do it yeah. for the audience. Yeah. But I really enjoy it. I love making those connections. Me and my husband speak oh, cool. as a couple. Um, and just being able to share the things that we've been through and what helped us. Yeah. You know, and I think we should be doing that more often. And also, I let people know it's not always perfect for me. Yeah. You know, you see me on stage, you may hear me on a podcast, but that's not me every day. Right. You know, there are days where, you know, I've had to call my husband home from work because I'm having a panic attack and I'm like literally on the floor crying. Um, Or I've had panic attacks out with my kids in public, or as my mom tells me, like, you're being testy. And I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm not. You know, so I'm not always Uh, like this. It's still a work in progress, but it's great. I'm I'm very lucky to have the support and the community that I do around me. Not everybody can say they have the husband that I do, the mom, the brothers, the mother-in-law, the close friends that I do that are like, I know you're used to taking care of people. 
but we're not doing that with you today. Yeah. You know, so... Well, from our <clears> conversation, <throat> it sounds like if you get testy, you just need a Snickers bar. It sounds I, like I, typically... My blood sugar gets yeah. low. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just hungry. Just give her yeah, a Snickers give, bar. Yeah, my blood sugar fine. gets no. low. But no, I mean, I, uh, I enjoy this and I like connecting. And there's, yeah. if there's anything I can ever do for you or your audience, you know, you have all my contact information. Yeah, thank and, you. You know, I would, I would love to, you know, if somebody needs to have a conversation or needs resources, you know, I can point you in the right direction. Yeah. Now, if, if someone wanted to find you, mm-hmm. like, is there a way that they can find you through Wounded Blue? Like, I don't want you necessarily to put out your own personal phone mm-hmm. or, you know, email or that kind of stuff, but is there a way that someone could find you if they wanted to chat? Yeah. I mean, I can, my, I have my Wounded Blue, but I also have my own, um, my, my company email oh, yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. What is that? Um, and that's, um, that's Lindsay at... Wait, you're going to have to spell that. Oh, okay. Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Yes. Got to have the A in there. Get the A-Y <laughs> at Lindsay Talks with an S dot com. Good. Good, good, good. And then as, as far as the Wounded Blue goes, I love the Wounded Blue. I uh-huh. love uh, volunteering with them. They've yeah. done a lot of great work for officers over the years. Um, and uh, their um, website is thewoundedblue.org. Yeah. Tons of resources yeah. um, and just some really good stories about how people maybe weren't necessarily taken care of by their agency, but the yeah. Wounded Blue was able to step in. And get them the resources that they need. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, somebody, they can contact me through my email, okay. um, resources, even, you know, speaking opportunities, anything like that. Yeah. Um, we can start that conversation. And if they just need like an inpatient facility or maybe yeah. a therapist in their area, I have access to a lot of that information. And one of the things that came out of this too, and I, and I kind of jokingly, it's kind of like the same thing with like, how'd you get into law enforcement? Well, I just kind of stumbled into it and then it was everything I thought it was going to be. And then it ended up being a great career with this show. I just thought I was going to hang out with cool people, (laughs) tell cool stories. And what ended up happening is a lot of the cool people that I had come on started talking about the different therapies and organizations (laughs) that they were a part of. And when that started happening, I didn't discourage it. I embraced it Mm -hmm. because my hope is, is that somebody's listening and they didn't know that there's either a no cost or low cost. Yes. Something's available. Mm -hmm. It's just you just got to pick them up, pick it up, pick up the phone and call or email or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that okay, so maybe church isn't for one person, or maybe going to Boulder Crest isn't for somebody, right. or maybe touching horses isn't for somebody. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's a there's a wide variety yeah. of things that you can do to help uh, help you with whatever it is that you're dealing with. And so uh, in my in my tiny little pea brain, I just think the more options and the more things that we can talk about here. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that even if just one person hears it yes, and it helps them, then all of this time, all this effort, all the, you know, all the guests, then it's more than worth it. More than worth it. And then my challenge would be to that one person or anybody who utilizes those resources, pay it forward by talking about it. It doesn't have to be in a room where you're giving speeches, but tell somebody your experience so that somebody that's on the fence or didn't even know that resource existed can be like, you know what? I, I want to know more about this, or, or I think that's something I need in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I've got that card set in front of you. Yes. Um, well, I'll ask you maybe one or two more questions, and then we'll wrap it up. So I don't want your blood sugar to get low. I don't want you to get all <laughs> testy. Um, what do you think is the most heroic thing you ever witnessed or saw while you were working? The most heroic? Heroic or courageous, yeah. I know that's why I send these out in advance so I don't have to hit you with them cold. No, no, you're fine. Because <laughs> sometimes, like, you'll think of one thing and then yep. you think of something else. Um, 
I've seen an officer run up on a accident scene and be able to calmly do CPR on someone that looked like they were no longer with us. Yeah. And bring the person back. Like fully bring them back. And that's and unusual. Be, yeah, and be calm, cool, and collected. And I just remember standing there and all like, could I do that? <laughs> like, yeah, like like that. Like, could could I do that? I mean, yes. and just jump in the action. I was a newer officer too, but it's just like jump in the action like nothing was wrong. Yeah. You know, and I just thought that that was like, wow. Yes. You know, that is like absolutely amazing yes. when you see people do stuff like that. And you would like to hope that when that time comes, if confronted, that you would do it right. without hesitation. But I don't... I mean, well, the human I, part of me is like, you know. Well, I, I feel like, you know, in a sense, me and my partner did that. Yeah. You know, we showed up and that man meant to kill his girlfriend and we were the shield between the bullets and, and, and the her. girlfriend, you yeah. know. So in essence, we we did the same thing, yep. you know. Yeah. Um, best compliment you think you ever got? Best compliment. This could be personal. It could be professional. I've had uh, the wide range. So just recently at a speaking engagement, I had a woman come up to me in tears yeah. who shared with me um, a traumatic experience that she had. Mm. And she said, through what I said about my own experience and how I handled it with my kids, yeah. I made it okay for her mm to share with her kids what had happened to her almost two decades ago. She says, I've hidden it from them from so long. I've made so many excuses about what happened and things like that. And she says, hearing how you spoke about it, Mm. like I'm not ashamed of what I've been through. And you made it okay for me to sit down and have that conversation. And I'm looking at her like... I did that. Yeah. And I thought that was, and you know, and I, I just hugged her yeah. and I was like that, you know, I'm, I just want to help. I just want to share my story, right. but you don't realize how your words can affect people. Yep. And I said, thank you. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't even know what to say it's to like that. like a million dollar check right it, there. Exactly. And yeah. I, I thought that was really, I mean, for better, like, a, you know, words like cool, mm-hmm. but it was very humbling. And I'm yes. like, okay. Uh, that means I'm going in the right direction yep. with what I'm choosing to speak about and how I speak about it as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, I'm sure. Now, here's the deal. Yes. You're going to drive away and you're going to think of about 10 other stories you could have told. <laughs> and the thing I love about podcasting is that there's no rules to this. Right. I've had several guests. And if you start looking through the, the list mm-hmm. of episodes, you'll see where people have come back. Okay. And come back. And uh, yeah, if you drive away and you think of about 10 other cool stories you could have told, yeah, you can come back. Right. Shoot, we can hang out another uh, another morning or something. And Well, ne- next time, um, you know, I-, I want breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what's funny is that I've actually had guests, because you know how cops are, man. If you tell me 9.30, I'm going to be there at 9.15, because if, if I'm on time, I'm late. Right. And one morning, uh, a buddy of mine, Jonathan Armand, was coming over, and I'll sit here like I didn't have any breakfast either, so sometimes I sit here and I, <laughs> you know, start getting all weak. See, you and, got low blood sugar. Yeah, and so my wife was making me like a egg McMuffin sandwich, you know, and the doorbell rings, and so Jonathan comes in, and I was like, "Dude, do you want a sandwich?" And he's right. like, "I have a rule: I never turn down food." So then we sat there 
probably for like a good hour just at the table. And there's so many times where, you know, you came over and we started talking. Right. And then your mom's like, uh, let's get to it. Right. Come on. You guys <laughs> she, are going to be here all day. She said that what, probably like two, three times. I she know, said, this yeah. is the podcast right here. Like, what I are you know. doing? And I've said, <laughs> I've said this so many times too, is like, sometimes I wish I could start recording from the time you come in. Yes. Because to me, all of that is the podcast. Yeah. It's the show. But- there's a lot of times where when we're doing that housekeeping and people will tell me about, you know what, this happened to me and I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. going to bring it up on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want to let you know, I'm like, no, 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 that's fine. Like there's some of that stuff that isn't going to ever be on the show, yeah. but it's still all part of the experience for me because like you walk through the door, we've never met. Right. So we're meeting, we're mm-hmm. getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And then I don't even know what time we started, but it was probably about 10 o'clock or, mm-hmm. you know, we probably talked for about an hour and then we started recording. Right. And sometimes and so, you need a little bit of that just rapport building yes. uh, before, and then it sounds yeah. more natural once you get into that conversation. And that's the thing, too, is that when people are coming over and they've never been here before, there's always a little bit of that, you know, like, oh, I, don't, I don't know, what yeah. is this, you know? And fortunately, and I've said this a bunch of times, too, is that after people leave, they're willing to come back, mm-hmm. which lets me know that I'm on the right track yes. and yeah. that they enjoyed being here. And that ultimately, I wasn't interrogating you. I wasn't even interviewing you. We were just having a conversation about your and my careers, yeah. and we just happened to record it so somebody can listen to it later. And so, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer, for <laughs> for giving him my information, and yeah. thank you for following up with me because, like I said, my brain can be bad sometimes. Sure. And I do forget, but this was I enjoyed myself, and I you know I hope somebody gets something from yes. this, and um, you know I I look forward to hearing any feedback. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I always do because I feel like I'm in a vacuum here. And so a lot of times the only feedback that I get, uh, and it's kind of like when you're talking about people coming up and saying hi to you or telling you that what you said made a difference. Yeah. And sometimes the only feedback I'll get is I look at the number of downloads. Okay. Got you. And so um, considering that I feel like I'm just a dude sitting in my front office of my house, when I see the downloads, it still always surprises me. Oh, wow. So gotcha. I've had... You'll be like a hundred episode one twelve, mm-hmm. and what it ends up being is about three hundred to three hundred fifty downloads per episode. Got you. So yeah, right now, just for the listeners, we're at forty three thousand three hundred ninety four downloads, which is probably about forty three thousand more than I ever, <laughs> I ever hey, expected. Congratulations, you know. Though. But that means that what you said today, and what Kevin said last week, yes. and what you know, all the other guests that have been on, that people are hearing it. And I hope it helps. I hope it helps. And in the meantime, they get to hear some cool stories. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. There you have it. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate you listening in. Uh, Please come see me on Facebook. Uh, See me on Instagram at CP underscore SFAF. Let me know what you thought of this episode or any episode. And as always, this episode is brought to you by my book, My Rookie Memoir of Father's Legacy. It's on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and also on Kindle as an ebook. If you uh, go on and purchase a book, please leave me a review. Let me know what you thought of that, too. Um, That truly was my very first legacy project before I started this podcast. So thanks again, and we'll see you in a week.